jam-packed to the rafters. Let's go up to our ring announcer. The following podcast is scheduled for one episode and is our vantage point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Outside, we couldn't see it from our vantage point. fans and welcome to our vantage point the retro wrestling podcast thank you guys so much for being back with us here for episode 228 it is monday june the 21st 2021 summer is here and we are here to romp you through the world of retro wrestling as always i'm joe Murata. i am joined by michael quinn how you doing there michael Howdy, diddy. What's going on, man? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing. How's your summer been so far? One day of it. It's, it's hot. It's been very hot. Oh, yeah, one day of one it. One day of why, it. Why is it not the summer already? It feels like it's been the summer for weeks now. <laughs> it has been, actually. Uh, the action's yeah. been hot and heavy. And you know what else is hot and heavy, Quinn? What? The retro wrestling topics we're going to be going through today. I've heard. We have a lot of stuff mm-hmm. to talk about. But before we get to any of that, we want to thank you guys for being back with us. And we want to remind you to follow us on Twitter at OVP Podcast. There's no clips. <laughs> Yeah, no no more clips. Sorry. The clips police came and they the, said we can't do that anymore. Clips police, that's right. But you can still follow us there for daily posts on retro wrestling, you know, old magazine ads and funny pictures, these novel concepts, you know. Very no, novel. You, yeah, very novel yeah. that you've never seen things like this before. Never. Never. Uh, follow us on Twitter at OVP Podcast. You can also email us. Remember, email? Yeah, email. Yeah, email. You can do that if you want to at OVPPodcast at gmail.com. That is oh. VPPodcast at gmail.com. But Quinn, there's another place where if people want to talk to you and me and over a thousand retro wrestling fanatics, where can they go? They can go over to Facebook.com slash no clips. Okay. Because there's no clips there either. There's not. No clips. Facebook.com slash no clips. Over there, they got a search bar. You type in that search bar. Our Vantage Point, Death, Retro Wrestling Podcast, Bing Bang Boom, Tube Score, Kaflui. You hit the join group, you're in. And when you join the group, right? Yeah. You're agreeing to one rule. Yes. And one rule There's only. There's only one. That's it. And what is it? Don't be uh, what? Don't be a dunderhead. Don't be a dunderhead. And all that means, folks, is you know how on the internet, sometimes people argue, and it's rare. Yeah. But sometimes on the internet, people argue. We don't want uh, personal attacks. We yes, don't want personal. insults and things like that. You can debate, you discuss, and disagree all you want. Present the facts. <laughs> in a civilized manner under Hulk Hogan's direction, obviously. Well, Anything less would be uncivilized. Exactly. You know, you know the, the, that kind of civilized. What, what we mean is just have fun yeah. and don't be an asshole. Right. If you could pull that off, come join the group. It don't, is a fun time. Don't be a douche. Don't be a douche. And it also allows you to vote on upcoming season things, you know, for our show. And there's announcements there. It's a good time. And that's on Facebook. And if you want the extra stuff that we offer, we do have extra things. We have two separate shows. The 1983 canon, which is very, very close, dangerously close to becoming the 1984 canon. It's also very separate. It's, it's very a very separate, separate show. Canon. The most separate canon. That's every Friday. That's on Patreon. And also, our pay-per-view reviews. Uh, we are going through every single WWF pay-per-view in order. Uh, right now, out for June, is WrestleMania 9. And in just a few short weeks... We'll finally get to a new pay-per-view, Quinn. King of the Ring, 93. Oh, boy. King of the Ring, baby. It'll be it's fun. It's time for a tournament. It's time for the a first tournament. First time since Wrestling Classic. That's right. And if you've never been to our Patreon, make it your first time. Go to patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Give it a shot, even for a few weeks. If you don't like it, you're not into it, just cancel it. We're not offended. It's okay. Give it a shot. Patreon.com slash OVP podcast. But, Michael. Yes? As the season winds down, 
to remind everyone, we have been hosting a game show all season long. Oh, yeah, this. And Mur- Murph <laughs> oh, yeah, called this. us. Murph, yeah, Murph Griffin. He called us. And yeah. it, was, it was a big thing. He said, can you host a game show where we're going to have people on Facebook give us an opinion they hold about retro wrestling, and they're going to end it with, change my mind. Quinn and I, we have been trying to see all season long if we can... Change your mind. Welcome back to Change Your Mind, the OVP game show, where we're going to see if we can change your mind about a subject in retro wrestling history. We have a repeat contestant this time around, Quinn. Oh, how do you get how do you get through the? He has either the, knows somebody that knows somebody. Yeah, how do you get through the our, our crack team who <laughs> sifts through all this stuff? He got through the crack, all right. Yeah. Uh, this is let's bring him on down here, Dave Parada. Oh, there again. he is. Once again, no relation to me, Joe Murata, because it's not the same last name. It just rhymes. And no, no relation to piranhas, the fish. Yeah, no relation to piranhas either. Yeah. Just for clarification purposes. And good old Dave here, a great contributor, by the way, on our group. He has one, Quinn. I know this is right up your alley. Ted DiBiase should have been the WWF champion. Change my mind. <laughs> um, no. Okay, why? Well, there, there's various reasons. Um... There's various reasons because, like, here's the thing: is Ted DiBiase, he's like one of the all-time greatest heels. Yes, he is absolutely. Like, once he like bought the belt or whatever that was. Yeah, he did. Like, I felt like I felt like that was it. He was not really the champion. The whole point is you're mad because he kind of like he fucked Hogan. He fucked Hogan, and he didn't really get it. But he's like holding it or whatever, and he's wearing it at at house shows or whatever. (laughs) He did. This is true. Weighing 260 pounds, the Million Dollar Man, and new World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion, Ted DiBiase. Everything about him is that nothing is legitimate. Everything's not on the up and up. He so, tries to buy everything. Right. If, if, if he was legitimately the world champion, it would be weird. It'd make him like less nefarious, if you ask me. You think so? It would like hurt him. Okay. The heart of this question is a good one, and it, it's come up just in casual conversation, maybe on our group or Twitter, plenty of times. I see this one a lot. I see this oh, all yeah. the people, time. People love to say this on Twitter, right? Should have been the champion. Deserved to be champion. <laughs> you know, my favorite. Here's the deal. I get why anyone would say that, and I could go either way on this one, but I agree with you, Quinn. I don't think that he should have been. Not because he didn't need to. Not that he didn't need the belt. The company didn't need for him to have the belt. That's right. where I go with it. Yeah. I think one of the best ways to illustrate this, because his run is actually not that long when you look at it. As a top heel, you mean, or in no, general? As, in general. Is to 87 like, to 93. Yeah, when would this opportunity occur? Because we could step through from 88 to 93 or whatever. Yeah, but I mean... The last couple of years of his career, I think we can write off, no pun intended, with IRS. Because, Anything uh, with IRS. He was kind of injured. Yeah, so uh, so basically from dwindling. 88 to 91 would have been his window. Yeah, 87, 88. Uh, yeah, I mean, 87. Is, he's just like at a Thanksgiving table or whatever <laughs> at that weird what Was he eating pheasant? Yeah, was something gourmet like that. Pheasant. I, don't, I don't eat turkey. I <laughs> pheasant for Thanksgiving, whatever that was. Whatever it was. Standards that include squab instead of that disgusting, grimy fowl they call Thanksgiving turkey. To roll it back to why there, this is a good question, is DiBiase made his debut in the summer of 87, uh, recently like fresh out of Mid-South. No, right. excuse me, out of Houston? Maybe both. I can't remember. And he came in as a rich asshole. 
yeah. the gimmick that Vince McMahon says, you know, if he was a wrestler, this would have been his gimmick, right? I mean, it makes sense. It's a great gimmick, right? It's a great idea. It yeah. truly is one of the all-time great and heel I think, gimmicks. You know what you just said there about if he he's basically a stand-in for Vince McMahon? He's like a surrogate. I think because Vince McMahon won the WF belt once, that people that's part of why this is in I people's brains know. a little bit. I do. I don't think well, you know, you feel free to jump to that conclusion. Yeah, maybe. But. I think that's I'm just saying I think that's the subconscious why why people think that. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Quinn. Uh and immediately, very shortly into his run in eighty seven, right? He's got these vignettes airing, you know, he's paying off the jerk at the pool to to get all the kids he out of the pool. He pays RVD to like do, to kiss his feet, right? Yeah, something like that. The basketball, most yeah. famously, right? All these things. The restaurant, getting a table, gets a paper cut, counting his money or something mm-hmm. because medical treatment. It's really good stuff. Ow, Virgil, I've cut my finger. I need medical attention. Get me to a doctor right now. And then he calls out Hulk Hogan. You know, I will buy. The World Wrestling Federation this title. This guy thinks he's better than the world champion, right. and he did nothing. He's done nothing other, to prove other, himself. Other than be rich. Right. And it's a great storyline. And Hogan, when he's still like very good, likable Hogan, remember? Mm-hmm. Hell no! And then like the hick. The hick, he, return, he returns from WrestleMania 3. <laughs> yeah. Remember? It's real. Yeah, he comes back, and he's like, yeah, that's that's like last year. Right. <laughs> so DiBiase flips the fuck out. I'm just giving you the run through. So he's like, fuck this. I'm going to get the guy that has a shot at beating Hulk Hogan that actually did uh, outlast him at Survivor Series 87 and might have gotten the three count on him at WrestleMania 3 early in the match. I'm going to get Andre the Giant. I'm going to buy that contract from Ted DiBiase for $1 million, from Bobby Heenan for $1 million. Right, $1 million. <laughs> yeah, and I'll just have Andre beat him. Mr. DiBiase, I will tell you one thing. I will deliver that belt. The World War Wrestling Federation. And I will enjoy it And obviously the main event happens. Two Hebners. Got yep. much money for the plastic surgery. And obviously Andre serenades uh, the WWF Tag Team Championship. Yes. <laughs> this is National Class. I told you I'm going to win. The World Tag Team Championship. And now, I surrender the World Tag Team Championship. What a mess all of this. <laughs> and can, I just say, can I just say that whole incident is one of my favorite things because of just what it's it's so live. Oh, like, yeah, it's it, totally live. It's so live. With, like they are stumbling all over the place as this goes goes through and it, and it makes it seem more real. They're giving Andre the Giant. A live mic in front of 33 million people, yeah. you know, for example. <laughs> we can't re-edit it. <laughs> no, that's it. It's immortalized. Hogan's just saying things. Right. Like, <laughs> and now DiBiase, right? As you've once famously said, he looks like a real butthole with the belt on. Well, it's over because a suit. it's like over the suit. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the real buttholeishness. It should be at least under the coat. Yeah, but it's like not. it's not even under the coat. Under the dicky. Yeah. And, um, he actually does. He is announced as the world champion on a couple of house shows, and then Tony vacates it. He has the belt. He right? has the belt, yeah. yeah. And then we obviously have the WrestleMania 4 tournament. There was an old rumor that DiBiase was supposed to win there to compensate for Honky Tonk Man not dropping the IC to Savage. Uh, they had what? Savage win. I don't know if any of that's true. I People don't can fact check that. But. I don't think... Let's be honest. I don't think they would have a big heel win WrestleMania. I don't either. At the end of WrestleMania like that ever. I don't either. Back then, at least. Not until Triple H came along and says, I'm the champion at the end. Uh, and <laughs> fuck yeah, you. In uh, 2000. Uh, yeah. 
And that was kind of it for DiBiase. Like, 88 was DiBiase's heel run. He took on Savage a real lot. And it kind of started fizzling out at the end of 88. Remember the Hercules thing? Like, it, yeah. It not, he didn't matter as much. But, you know, there, that being said, right? Okay, so that's a, that's a check. We can't give him the title there. So We could have, but... Uh. We could have. But then, after he, like, fizzles out, he kind of makes a, a, a return to, like glory again where he makes his own title this is correct right so so this making the own title thing this is what i think is the real strike against the idea of ted dibiase ever being the wf champion why does he need the world title when he's essentially declared himself like an even better champion yeah like this championship is better than all of them because it's worth a million dollars there you go i'm here i'm here the million dollar man is here I want to talk about, though, why I don't think that, it, it, why I think it's okay that he didn't win it. The WWF and WWWF's model of a champion was exclusively a long-term babyface champion from Bruno San Martino in 63, right? Mm-hmm. A short heel transition with Ivan Koloff. Uh-huh. Then Pedro for years, right? Yep. A nine-day transition with Stan Stasiak. Mm-hmm. Then Bruno for a few more years. Mm-hmm. Billy Graham was the first heel champion to have it for a substantial length of time. And even he was, what, five or six months? Substantial yeah. months. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's nothing. Which, when you compare to the reigns back then, which were years, that's a really short reign. Five Again, or six months. I think, actually, the model for the company for a long time, even even into like the Attitude Era a little bit, until really triple h was i'm not kidding like yes. it was mostly like we have to get this to a face somehow the like only, yeah no you're 100 yeah. right when the only long-term heel champion uh was yokozuna oh yeah I always, that's it yeah that's that's a weird like they're they don't even know what to do and and even then you saw them like trying to get it to lex luger and it, they it almost wasn't did enough. they like, almost it, did yeah they, like they didn't have the support like right. they were they were just Yoko's almost like to me like a by accident world long term champion because they kept trying to get it to like a face that they felt was over enough. Yeah, they kept it on him longer than I think Vince initially wanted to, from what I understand. Right, you know? he was supposed to be like a like oh the, the stopgap stopgap heel guy. Yeah, yeah, he was. And you're right about that. It wasn't really until Triple H that the days of the long heel champion uh, started, for the most part. For the most part. Now, as far as DiBiase, all right, let's say he wins it at WrestleMania four. Okay. And then what? He loses it to Hogan or Savage, depending on what direction they were going at SummerSlam 88. Maybe. So, I mean, he gets a few defenses maybe on a Saturday night's main event. I would think, actually, maybe they would have him losing on Saturday night's main event the same mm. way he won it. Ooh, you think so? Well, they were know. really they were really into Saturday night's main event in that time. Well, it was huge, yeah, in yeah. 88. It was huge. And remember, the ratings they got when they had a world title change on there, you don't think they try to uh, pull in some of those ratings again, get those advertising bucks yeah, million dollar bucks. <laughs> million dollar bucks. I could see it working. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But again, it wouldn't have been a long term thing. Right. He would have either w- lost it back to Hogan, mm-hmm. of course, or lost it to Randy Savage. Right. And then you still have the Mega Powers arc. Right. Those are the only two. And maybe he loses it to Randy Savage it's, at SummerSlam. It's funny that with Hogan's the help. that the DBS title win is essentially just how the Mega Powers arc starts. It is. Like that's really what it is. And I wouldn't trade that arc for anything. Yeah. You know, no. in, in all truthfulness. Yeah. See, here's the thing when it comes to titles, because there was another question, and if I can find it, I'll read it for you now. Another changed my mind, and I think it ties into this one nicely. And it's from Adrian Cotton, another contributor on the group. So Adrian's like a bonus contestant today, okay? Bonus contestant. Bonus contestant. I like that. He says, 
in quotes here, they didn't need the belt should not prevent someone from being champ. Changed my mind. I agree with that because I don't think wrestlers need belts as much as the company needs a champion. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Hogan in his personal life wanted the belt because of the money that goes along with it. When you're in the main event every night, (laughs) you get the highest purse and all that. So in his personal purse, he needed the money, wanted the money, but the WWF needed Hogan as champion. Somebody's got to headline all those those armories. (laughs) For example, so no, I I think I agreed with Adrian to that extent that it's not that DiBiase didn't need the belt. It's that they didn't need to make him champion. No, he was he was <laughs> such a butthole. Like, nobody liked him. They already did the give him the title thing. Yeah, what he did on the main event and the whole angle that followed, that drew enough heat and enough publicity and enough money, I'm assuming, that whether they gave him the title for a few months or just did that, I don't think I it would have mattered. just that occurring... For all times, Gorilla Monsoon, everyone would be like, he once bought the title, that piece of shit. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, that would always be something they would bring up. Right. And I think with a lot of guys, you know, your Ted DiBiase, your Jake Roberts, all these people that never won a world title or maybe a title, what more does it really add other than, oh, yeah, remember when they were the world champion or something? You know, I don't know what it really does other than water the title lineage down. Yeah, it doesn't need it. When you need everyone as champion, you know, everyone deserved to be champion. Well, how many friggin' people can be champion in 1989? N- not many. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? I, I really think that this whole idea, too, this question or whatever, a lot of it stems from the fact that Randy Savage was the champion. Yeah. I think that's like the, the, the genesis of the this guy should be the champion because that's the first guy in the Hogan times where, like, somebody else got it. Yeah, that for was a, a year. face. Because they gave it to the warrior afterwards, then it started this trend of like, well, why not Jake? Why not this guy? Why not why not Roddy Piper and right. all, all this shit, right? But it's like realistically, it doesn't all any time a face won it, it was just because like Hogan was like on vacation or doing a movie. Well, like think, he was yeah. like essentially always the champion. We established that last yeah. week, right? Where yeah. in '88 it was because. Uh, because of No Holds Barred and some time off. Mm-hmm. In 90, it was because of Suburban Commando and some time off. Rough stuff. <laughs> no, that yeah. Wasn't, yeah. But that's why he wasn't the champion in 92, because he yeah. was taking time off. For rough stuff. For rough stuff. Uh, you're absolutely right. It was He was essentially their champion, crowned or uncrowned, from 84 to 93. Yeah. I mean, overall, you know, you know what I'm saying, folks. Yeah. Don't get into semantics. I know that Warrior was champion and Savage was anybody, champion. Anybody but- who had it, not Hogan... And this might sound brutal, but was just holding the bag. Like they were just like there to like make sure that house shows uh, continued to sell. Yeah, and you know what? Savage did a really good job of that, and they yeah. booked him well. Warrior did not do as good a job of that, but they didn't book him as well. Back to the DiBiase point. I don't know other than '88 when it would have made sense to put the title on him. Right, and I don't think that his career in the fans' perception, was hurt by not being champion. Now, no. I'm sure in his real life, Ted DiBiase in 1988 would have loved all of the the money and, and the paydays that came with being champ. Right. But again, he was working with Savage every night. He's still getting the main event He's still pay. the top guy, sort and, of. And his fucking gimmick is the million-dollar man, and they, they give him cash yeah, <laughs> as so part he, of his gimmick. I, I'm just saying, <laughs> he he definitely got his, his fair share of overness. <laughs> right. And not to mention... He's the only guy who got to make his own championship belt. Like, you know there what I mean? There you go, like, yeah. He essentially was a champion, technically. Yeah, he always. was. Right, right. You know? And not only that, Quinn, he came into the company immediately feuded with Hogan, was a high-profile name throughout you know, his whole entire tenure there, right? I don't think his career, his legacy, or his perception is hurt by not being world champion. 
Whether or not he would have wanted to be is his own preference. I don't know. I'm sure he, he would have. He but. ultimately ended up in the same pantheon as like Jake the Snake and like Roddy Piper and everything, but just on yeah. the heel side. On the heel side of it, yeah. yeah like he, right. he just was like always one of the like threats to Hogan or like anybody who's a top Randy Savage yeah. or whatever. Or the IC level, anyone, yeah. right? Yeah. Always is a credible heel, put people over, got over. So I get why anyone would ask this question. I totally get it. Because it would make sense, but they didn't book like that back then with having like a, unless they were transitioning to Savage, and that's the only way it would make sense, but they did transition to Savage. They just vacated the title instead. Yeah. I get it. And it's a great question, Dave. And folks, thank you so much for all of your questions. We do have a couple of more this season, and there's still time for you to put something on our Facebook group. There is an announcements post if you want us to change your mind. But Quinn, when we come back, we did the best last week. Now it's time for two more of the worst. That's right. It is the royal flush of world title changes. And that is coming up right after this. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need one. That's what I want. That's what I want. Do you see it? Do you see where it is? Right there where I told you it'd be. I told you people that I always get what I want. But I hook or by crook and I told you I would be the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. And look where it's at, Hogan. Thanks to this man right here. I am the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. That's right, Hogan. I told you. And I will not be a champion like you were. I will be a true champion all the way up and all the way down. Oh, I don't plan on coming down. But look at the way you did it, Hogan. Can you imagine this man going out and paying the money? You say everybody's got a price. What kind of money do you think Hogan had to spend to go out and get a Dave Hebner look-alike referee to come out in the ring and try to confuse the issue? Try to confuse the issue, but it's not going to work, Hogan. It's not going to work because here the title is and here the title will stay. Long reign, Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> From Marley Race to Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair to The Rock, Sting to Steve Austin, you're listening to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. This is episode 228 of this Monday, June 21st. 2021 and Quinn. Yes. Lots of things going on this summer, but one thing that people might want to get into is the soon-to-be 1984 canon we mentioned earlier. Exciting. There's so much new canon to be discovered. Yep. And what this is, for this is patreon.com slash OVP podcast, and we don't try to beg for money, and it's not this whole thing. We have two tiers, okay? And $2 a month is going to get you the canon. The canon, Quinn, is where we've gone through every WWF Championship Wrestling episode since January of 82, Mm-hmm. And now we are rapidly approaching January of 84. Two-year anniversario. That's right. But not really. Because we've, we've been doing it longer. Yeah, but now it's weekly, so it, it will be very, very in line. It'll be very consistent. Yeah. Every single week on Fridays, a new episode of this comes out. And it's in video form or just audio only. Whatever's easier for you. Quinn and I watch an episode and we talk... We talk about what's going on. We talk about old department stores. You never know. Carvel. Carvel, yeah. It's a really good time. We kind of we kind of say, Quinn, it's like just watching wrestling with your friends. Yeah, it's just that's what it's meant to be. It's, it's, it's nothing more, nothing less. Right. It's unedited. It's just whatever we're 
thinking of that day. Yep. It, 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 it's supposed to give you that feeling of I'm on the couch with my buddy. That's exactly. Watching the, watching the wrestling. So if you want to get on the couch with your buddies, it's patreon.com slash OVP podcast. And that's only $2 a month. And then the highest tier that we offer is only $5 a month. And that's going to get you the 1983 canon. And also, like we mentioned, the monthly pay-per-view reviews. We started with the first WrestleMania. Out now is WrestleMania 9. King of the Ring in a few weeks. And these are full-length, like three, three-and-a-half-hour reviews. We're going through the entire show. We take notes on it. We give you even the exclusive star ratings, Quinn. Exclusive. Exclusive. Very exclusive. <laughs> so $5 <laughs> worth of exclusive star ratings. <laughs> so if you want to know what we think of these pay-per-views and you want to be entertained as we review them, that's on the $5 tier, and those come out once a month. So again, this is for people, maybe you like OVP, you've been listening for a few weeks, a few months, even a few years and you want more, and you want to support us, we give back to you with two separate tiers and two separate shows, and that's on patreon.com slash OVP podcast. Maybe give it a try, like I said, just for June. Mm -hmm. See what you think. If you don't like it, you're not listening to it, you're not into it, you think we're annoying, turn it off. Just cancel it. It's okay. You think we're annoying. Why are you still listening to this? Yeah, that's a very good point there, Michael. Again, patreon.com slash OVP podcast. But now, Quinn. Uh The Royal Flush. This is not... The good stuff. This is the stinky stuff. It's very stink. There's stinkage factor, yes. obviously. It's bad. Yeah. Folks, what is the Royal Rankings and the Royal Flush, if you're new around here? Each season, before the season starts, we ask you, the fans, to go to our Facebook group and to vote on a top 10 and a bottom 10 of something, which reminds me, the voting for next season is in process. There is an announcement poster. If you want to vote next season's Royal Rankings and Royal Flush, it's celebrities in wrestling. Yes, yeah, celebrities. And that's going to be a lot of fun. I oh, know it will boy. be. That is a topic I could really sink my teeth into, yes. to be quite honest with you. Absolutely. Uh, so that's next season. You can vote. But for this season, it was the best and worst world title changes of all time. So what Joe Merkel, our chief statistician, does, he'll take all of your votes and put them into two separate tanks, one for the best, one for the worst. And we rank them two by two, right? Last season was the rankings, which is the best. This season is the flush, which is the worst. And by the end of the season, what you are going to have is the definitive certified organic, non-GMO, baptized, ordained, USDA certified organic and healthy best and worst title changes, world title changes of all time. Quinn? Yes? On the worst list here, on the flush, there are six names on the board, and we're going to run them down, okay? Okay. At number one... The Finger Poke Doom. Well, that's pretty stinky. It's pretty bad. That's high stinkage. That's high stinkage, yes. Also high stinkage is number two, Kevin Nash versus Goldberg, Starcade. Which is all connected to the same thing. It's all the same thing. Yeah. Number three, very poor. We're not excusing it, but it's David Arquette. It might be the poorest thing on this list, but because of its timing, it technically isn't the poorest. Right, yes. That's a very good point. Because of when it took place. It saved it from being number one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Number four which you just really hate probably more than me, which is funny. I cannot. This stinks. That's Hogan Yoko, WrestleMania 9. Horrible. Horrible. <laughs> just no. Back when Brett is number five from Survivor Series 94, I don't even think it should be on here. I think it's fine. It's just a shitty match. Some might say. Yeah. <laughs> I always uh, like to disclaim that. And the number six really doesn't need to be on here because the rest are all kayfabe finishes, right? Yeah. You know, the rest is storyline. Number six is Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Montreal. Good match to the end. Though. Yeah, and, and I mean, honestly, consequentially, it was very good for WWF. Yeah, what happened? You know, not yeah, for Bret Hart. Them big time, right? Big time, big time, big time, big time. Slip the base, big time. Anyway, those are the six on the board. Before we go down to Howard Finkelquinn, 
can we just, you know, reemphasize the criteria here? The criterion? The yes. criterion. We're not just talking the wrestling match itself, although that plays a part. Right. We're not just talking who it was that won, although that plays a part. We're talking about the context surrounding it, the buildup, the lead-up, the payoff. Was it good for the company? Was it really bad for the company? I think you've come to... Uh, you'd have taken to saying, you know, memorably bad. Memorably bad. Is one yeah. of the things, right? This is one of those where the memorability is actually going to be on both. Yes. But memorably bad is the is the key thing for the flush. For the flush, right. And a lot of times, especially if you can check out the number one and the number two there, it didn't lead to anything good. No. And that's part of the thing. So with that said, we have six on the board. Two more come out. This is where it gets hot and heavy and stinky, Quinn, this yeah, period of time. The, the most stinkage. The most stinkage. Let's go down to Howard Finkel, please, for the Royal Flush. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Royal I'm a cattle prodder, a stunt gun. title changes. Quinn. smelt from here. It is getting stinky, like we say. The, can, can they chill with the toilets? The plumbing, what happens is the plumbing just really goes wild as we get later in the season. Hey, okay, that's hey, really, we hey, don't need that. Hey. Um, because what happens, okay, is all these stinkies come out, right? All yeah. these poopies, and the tank just get. this is a very mature show, by the this way. This is the most mature segment <laughs> that we do. Um... <laughs> I would say you could judge us purely based on just the flush. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, if, if this is your first time. Yeah, please. Please stick around for more. All right. So we've got the six names on the board, Quinn. We've talked about how these title changes, for the most part, are on here because they either really were bad for the company. They didn't make sense. They didn't do anything good. They're just shitty. They're shit. They're just shit. They're pure shit. And we're going to rank them. And we're going to rank them. So with that said, there's six on the board. Pulling out two more. Let's go down to the fans and find out who drew number seven. All right, Vince Russo, world champion. Okay, so <laughs> in WCW, boy, people hate Vince Russo. They sure do. They they cannot stand him, huh? Yeah. Now, okay, <laughs> let's, let's just set some context here yeah. before we talk about this. WCW in 2000 is insane. It's quite insane. Some of it's very entertaining. I gotta say, there people shit on some of the WCW episodes from 2000. Like I said, sometimes like they're actually really entertaining. For example, the one where they take all the belts away or whatever. You love that one. There, the April I watched 2000s. it back and I was like, why is this so damn entertaining? Like why? Like everything in that episode is really entertaining. It is a very entertaining episode. Now again, that doesn't mean good necessarily. It's no. not going to necessarily translate into profitability no. and good memorability. But with you know twenty plus years of time gone by, when you go back and watch some of uh, WCW two thousand or read about it, it's insane. Yeah, some of the stuff it's just insane. It's just throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. It's at, at, crazy. You know, on some level, you have to respect the willingness to like 
just try shit. I like, guess I, so. I felt like WW2000 was very experimental. <laughs> it was in yeah, a way. You know what I mean? Like looking back, it's like people had their expectations and I think that's why they shit all over it. Right. Like, you know, they were like so disappointed or whatever. But honestly, it's one of the things to me sometimes I, I think this is like missing in wrestling is that there's somewhere where some things on a big level where they can just experiment with shit. Yeah. And this yeah. is it's definitely an experiment. That's yeah. for sure. Vince Russo had obviously taken over as the head writer with Ed Ferrara of WCW in October of 99, leaving the WWF kind of just like that. He was uh, in charge of WCW's writing until January of 2000. Right. At that time, whatever the dispute was, because depending on who's telling the story, it's going to be slightly different. Vince Russo was asked to instead work with a booking committee. So he decided, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go home. Yeah. Kevin Sullivan took over in the meantime. Uh The the old standby, of course. (laughs) You know what I mean? Hey, if nobody's booking, I'm here. (laughs) Just in case. (laughs) Pretty much. And uh, Vince Russo then came back in April of 2000 and worked with Eric Bischoff, who had also been gone, obviously, since September of 99. This was the big agreement to get both of them back, right? Yes. And uh, that was the April 10th, 2000 Nitro that you were referring to, where they're like, we're both here now. Everything you're seeing doesn't count anymore. We're going to put all the titles. They're going to be vacant. You know, that old thing. They hit fucking F5 on WCW. (laughs) And soon it would be Control-Alt-Delete. Yeah. Or abort, retry, fail, perhaps. But anyway. Shut up. We get into that era, and that is the era where David Arquette won the title, which everyone loves. That's why you hit F5. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give you a rundown of the title lineage from that point up to Vince Russo. Yeah, just- isn't there like 26 champions or some <laughs> shit? That's, that's like There's like handful. more than the company's history somehow. Kind of. So Jeff Jarrett uh-huh. for eight days. Then Ric Flair for literally no reason for one week. Then Vince Russo vacates the title. Right. So that way Jeff Jarrett wins it again for one day. Right. So that way Kevin Nash can win it for six days. This seems normal. Yeah. Yep. So then Ric Flair wins it again. Oh, excuse me, no. Kevin Nash gives it to him. Oh, that's nice of him. But then Jeff Jarrett wins it later that same day. Oh, cool. Yeah, isn't that nice? And he holds it for 41 days, a very long time. Wow. what? what <laughs> that is that is like fucking Bob Backlund over here. Like Bruno San Martino shit. Absolutely. And then the Bash at the Beach incident happens. Oh, that... The company's in the shape it's in, blah, blah, blah. Right, where Jared, of course, if you don't know, folks, I'm sure you do, is supposed to lose it to Hulk Hogan. and they do Hogan! This- <laughs> of, all, of course, it has to get back to Hogan somehow. And they do a work shoot or a shoot shoot, again, depending on who you ask. Where- is that the last time Hogan was in the company? That's correct. Yeah. Where Jared lays down for Hogan, Hogan wins it, quote-unquote, and then Russo comes out, that bald-headed piece of shit, fuck yeah. him, I don't like him, and then he's Hogan's not like, the champion. And Hogan's like, well, okay, you don't want my services anymore, yeah. fuck this place, and right. he just leaves. Because he called him bald or something, yeah. you're not supposed to do that. So then Booker T, awesomely, and everyone liked this, Booker T wins it. That was good. Everyone was happy about everyone that. Everyone was very happy. For reasons that I don't quite remember or care to understand, Kevin Nash won it 20 days later or 50 well, days later. You know, Nash is always lurking. <laughs> For no reason. Yeah. But then Booker uh, won it back very shortly thereafter. Right. And that brings us uh, at Fall Brawl 2000. And that brings us to Nitro, September 25th, 2000. Mind you, by September of 2000, Quinn, the war was long over. Oh, yeah. This is not That's a war. Be, you know what I think the WWF kind of retcons a lot, which is shitty, is that, like, the war went till the day WCW, like, died or whatever. But it honestly was over, I felt like, since In- January 1st of 2000. 
Like I know people don't want to say that, but I I felt like once 2000 hit, that was it. Like it was it was over. Even earlier, Quinn. I mean, like you could say part of 1999. 99 throughout 99. After the finger poke, as ratings started to decline, you know, into yeah. 99, it became apparent that when the WWF was practically doubling Nitro's ratings, that I don't think anyone was going to catch Raw. And then Russo coming in sparked some interest right. for a few months. But like you said, by 2000, the writing was pretty much on the wall, and but it said, it, fuck you. So here's the thing, though. If you were living at the time... Which I was. And I was, too. This all was happening all so fast yeah. that you just figured, oh, maybe they'll just be like, in a year or two, WCW will be good again. They just need to like rebuild or something. Right. right? It's like I think that's what everyone thought, because nobody imagined that the company would go out of business. I mean, I don't... By the end of 2000, it was starting to get hairy, I think, in terms of sale rumors and things. I think that's when that started the up. The end of 2000. But I'm saying from like in 99, 2000, nobody was really thinking about no, not that. Yet, yeah. Not 99. So Vince Russo had become an on-screen person, obviously, starting in April. And uh, he uh, was a wrestler occasionally. And his whole character was that of a... It was an extension of who he really is. Uh, Long Islander, New York. Everyone hates New Yorkers, bro. And I'm going to be as obnoxious as I can. Blah, blah, blah. Was right? he friends with David Flair or something? Like, I feel like yes. that was part of his That's character. Part of the era, yeah. yeah. yeah and feuded with Rick. Remember, yeah. went to his house. And they, like, they went to his house. I remember they're like upstairs in David's room or something. <laughs> yeah, breaking so stuff. I don't know. It's like, funny. Like, yeah, these, it's actually funny. He, he had a baseball bat <laughs> yeah. a lot. I don't know. It's true. It's all real. Well, David, I'll tell you what. Let's blow the lid off. Let's go in this house. Let's show the people the real Ric Flair. Come on now. Now, Booker T by this point was elevated to world title status, thankfully, because he was so fucking good, Booker he T. Was. In WCW. He, he was. He was awesome. Yeah, everyone liked him, right? Yeah. But Russo's feuding with him. Not to sound like Russo, but what you have to understand is that Vince Russo's playing a heel. Right. You're supposed to hate him. This isn't actually Vince Russo real life, like no. how he is in real life, as He's far as I understand. He's literally writing himself to be as obnoxious and hateable as possible. Yeah. Now, is that a good idea? Probably not to make the yeah. booker to be the, the champion. You know yeah. what I mean? Not good. But you say that, yeah. and then meanwhile, WF Vince McMahon is like the top heel. So that, that's I mean, what and I, so was see, Bischoff, too. That, that is the thing with this Vince Russo winning the title thing, is that I always felt what it really was was WCW's version of the owner winning because you can't have Ted Turner win the belt, but like, <laughs> like this <laughs> is like funnier. this is literally just them being WWF Junior right. back then. Like this is all it is. In, in a sense, Quinn, it really is. Yeah, I mean, Bischoff was doing the heel authority figure thing before Vince was. Right. Uh, I think the problem is that people just don't like Vin, Vince Russo inherently, so, so he the, gets singled out for it. You but, know. But the funny part is. He's in a weird way the best choice they got because, as far as if you want a heel champion because, holy shit, people were so mad at him during this time period. Absolutely. Like, even before he won the belt, they were like, he's fucking ruining everything, blah, blah, blah. Why like, is he on screen? You yeah, know? it's like, uh, if you want to piss people off really bad and, and, like, make them boo a lot, give Vince Russo the belt. And the thing is, it didn't... I looked at the ratings trend on this a little bit in 2000. It didn't really do anything one way or another. Yeah. Having him in the mix. You know what I'm saying? They were just looking for anything. It was, it was they, a they, bad time. It's like, oh, WWF did Vince McMahon wins the belt. We're going to do that. Vince Russo wins the belt. Like, right. That's all this was to me. And Russo is the one that put it on Vince McMahon to begin with, by the way. Yeah. That was still under his tenure. But in terms of, um, you know, why people hate it, because you could have had a different wrestler as the lead heel instead of Vince Russo. Right. So I understand the hate. You know, he's legitimately in a spot that could be for someone else. They could have just had Vince Russo only win World War Three to like 
combat the like Vince McMahon wins Royal Rumble, right? But then not go as far as winning the world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you mean. Their Royal Rumble, their Royal the Rumble, fake Royal Rumble. Russo portrayed himself as not a wrestler. That if he was going to win anything, it was a fluke. The way he defended the Arquette thing is very similar to this. So what happens is on this Nitro, it's a cage match, right? Mm-hmm. And Russo is getting his absolute ass kicked by right. Booker T because that's as he should. Right. That's what would happen, right? right? Then Goldberg, who, mind you, has never won the title again since uh, Starcade 98. No, he should have won it like 20 <laughs> times by this point. Or well, like the just they be- were going, yeah. Yeah, just been the champion always. Right. So he comes out, and he, he doesn't like Vince Russo, and he spears Russo through the cage, and Russo lands on the floor, and thus has escaped the cage. Hence, Vince Russo is the WCW world champion. What happened? Booker T won, didn't he? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't know. Now, do you think part of this was the idea behind it wasn't to really put the heat on Vince Russo, at least make the audience mad that Goldberg made this happen. I don't know. Like, you know, make him a stronger heel, in a sense. You know you know what I mean? Like, it's like, wow, Bill Goldberg fucked us all. Now we have to deal with Vince Russo as the champion. It's possible. You know? Um, and Vince Russo will defend this, and I understand his logic. It doesn't mean I thought it made for good programming, but I understand his logic. Again, it goes back to the, can I be honest with you? I'm not a wrestler, and the way, the way it happened was logical, and... Bo- and Booker T was kicking my ass, and and Goldberg speared me through the cage, bro. I didn't to, win a match. Yeah, to be you know? fair, he he didn't. He, he didn't. He didn't. Again, I know we're always considered like Russo defenders. But we're not. This, also, this case we're just is consistent. One of, one of those situations, once again, where it was written in such a manner where Vince Russo didn't look like some like dominant champion or anything. Right. Like he just looked like a guy that was like in a weird circumstance, just like David Arquette. Right. Once again, though, we always we said this with Arquette, just because you can do this doesn't mean you necessarily exactly. should. Yeah, exactly. It didn't lead to anything good. I mean, you could have Jonathan Taylor Thomas win the t- title also in the same <laughs> right. manner, but I don't think you should do that. Correct. And Russo went on Thunder and vacated the title, or maybe vacated it on Nitro, but he had one promo with the belt, and he's like, I'm not a wrestler, I'm not defending this, I retire from the on-screen competition. I am not an athlete, nor did I ever claim to be. As a matter of fact, there are many that say Vince Russo has no business being in the ring. And that's it. Booker T just wins it back on the October 2nd Nitro. And that's the thing where people could say, well, why the fuck even do it then? Right. Other than wanting people to watch the next week, the irony is less people watch the next week. Which is... The rating went down. It's so funny because, like, I feel like that's the source of their problem. The whole, like, 99-2000. Right. They tried all these stunts thinking, oh, come on, people will have, like... Pop a rating, right? This isn't weird, wrong logic either. It's like, well, if we make it shocking enough, well, and we go off the air, you know, 1999 WCW bug appears, and they're like, oh, (laughs) fuck. And then they're like, I gotta know what happens. I gotta watch, you know, Saturday Night and Worldwide and all this shit. Is there, like, some kind of news? Like, But, like, it didn't work weird. It didn't work. Like, and, and that was really hard... For them to understand for a long time. They I guess couldn't, so, Quinn. They really couldn't wrap their head around. But every time we made it shocking before, everyone came back. But now when we make it shocking, nobody comes back. But right. I think that was the really hard thing to figure out for WCW. That really kind of doomed them. Because they couldn't get over this. This uh, 
they really thought that this was like the only way was to do shocking things and right and hope that work. next week people will come back thinking well i gotta know what happens right which is not which weird isn't, to think no it's not know? weird to think it just didn't work right yeah. i'm gonna give you a quick rundown here the nitro where russo won the title they got a 2-9 next mm-hmm. week 2-6 the week after 2-5 the week after 2-3 mm-hmm. the week after 2-2 and it went a little bit up and down through the rest of the year, but it didn't increase ratings, right? I just remember at some point, I just stopped watching them. There was definitely, oh, a, yeah. there was definitely a point with WCW, and I don't, I feel like it was in 99, actually. Yeah, me too. Where me I me. just like, I was like, I'm done with this. This isn't like, worth it. Like, it, I wouldn't even like change, like I'd have the clicker next to me, but I would the never. clicker? What are you, 75? Yeah, I would, I'm sorry. I would never really <laughs> hit the back button or whatever it was, because yeah. I'd always set my channels. Yeah, of course. And you flip back and forth. Yeah, I would never really hit the back button anymore for WCW. So I'd go back and I'd be like the walls in the ring or like, <laughs> or like gold dust as like that weird thing. Seven. Seven. Or, yeah. And I'd be like, what the fuck are Kiss Demons wrestling? Yeah, or, right. Like, no, I mean, it's just, just like, weird. It's like, I don't want to watch this. And this is a symptom of just kind of a lot of things that went wrong. The fact that they're in a position where Vince Russo winning the world title just seems like, okay, it's a thing they would do. Yeah. And it's just not, I didn't like it. You know, it. that's actually, you know, now that we're talking about this, 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 there's something interesting that I just thought of is that I think that was truly their problem. What's that? They weren't doing the right things for when, when you're underneath like that. Yeah. You need to know how to time and capture people when they flip back during a raw commercial. Oh, sure. When you're trying to make a comeback. Right. To try to stick them back. And this shit wasn't working because it was like in the main event and it was weird and stupid. Like you just have to have like solid fucking like cruiserweight matches or TV title matches to like suck people back in to get them during. And, and, and they they weren't doing that anymore. And compelling storytelling, you and know, like fucking three count was the cruiserweight division. <laughs> like it's like you know what I mean. Like it just yeah. wasn't there anymore. It wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, so this is not good at yeah. all. I no, don't this think stunk. It's really stupid. And we'll see where it ranks. I uh, just don't think it's like as bad as some of the transgressions they made. It didn't do further damage, I don't think. It no. certainly wasn't good. It was just another piece of like spaghetti they threw at the wall that didn't <laughs> stick. <laughs> it you, wasn't cooked yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it was. So. I think you're right. Uh, we'll see where it ranks. But Quinn, it's now time if you're ready. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's find out who drew. Number eight. Red Hart is there. Red Hart's at ringside. <laughs> oh, here it is, Clint. It's Starcade 97, Hogan versus Sting. This is the one, man. This, this is, is the one everyone wants to know. Here it is. If you're newer to the show, Quinn always defends this. Uh, it's not a defense as much as it's a... It's not, it. it's not as bad as the finger poke or whatever. Like, to me, that's like well, way, no, that's not true. way fucking worse. Okay. <sighs> Starcade 97, Hogan Sting. Let's get to the background here. Sure. The NWO forms... In 96. Spring of 96, yeah. right? You know who I am. Yeah, but yeah you yeah, don't know why I'm here. Yeah. Kevin Nash wears a hat, misuses the word adjective. Look at the adjective. Play. Get to bash at the beach. Stings like Mr. WCW. Luger suddenly has had a change of heart. He's not like half a heel anymore. He's yeah. regular face now. Well, you know, he had to defend something. Correct. <laughs> Dungeon of Doom was very pro WCW, by the way. They were. They, they tried. They, yeah, it, They're so, just losers. Yeah. That's, listen, let's, let's give the Dungeon of Doom their credit for being very like... <laughs> WCW defenders. They were there. They tried. Yeah. They were just shitty. Yeah. And uh, obviously, we get to Bash of the Beach 96. 
It's going to be Hall and Nash and a mystery partner, maybe, taking on Sting, Luger, and of course that WCW stalwart, Randy Savage. Long career there, Mr. WCW. Macho Man is always (laughs) super loyal to whatever company he's in. That's the thing. It's like, so it makes sense. It's fine. It's fine. We know that Hulk Hogan comes out, presumably to help Team WCW. Whose side is he on? Whose side is he on? The NWO side. Well, the outsider side, right? Leg drop on Savage. Look at all this crap in the ring. New World Organization. In the New World Organization of Wrestling, brother. The NWO was born. Now Sting and Luger and Savage and all the other WCW people try to fight off the NWO, but they're so incompetent. Yeah. And they can't. (laughs) Right? And I mean, just, all Nash and Hall have to do is bring baseball bats, and, and they're like, it. oh, no! But yeah, right. it's over. The whole roster, remember, all scared in yep. the ring of, like, just Hall and Nash. It's real! Yeah. <laughs> so, Sting and Luger ask uh, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair for some help. You know, let's put aside our differences, and let's see what we can yeah, do well, here. Yeah, well, if we get the four horsemen and all the baby faces right. together, maybe we'll be okay. We'll do something. No, Iron Anderson could do something. Of course. He'll, you know, he'll enforce the he'll, law. He'll enforce! Around. Yeah. So we get a War Games in September of 1996. But uh, shortly before that, WCW, I mean, excuse me, the NWO, says that they have Sting on their side. And we get a video clip of Sting attacking Lex Luger. Uh, No, excuse me, Sting coming out of a limo. I want to get the timing right. Coming out of a limo, right, Right. with the NWO. Everyone's like, oh, my God, Sting is in the NWO. And Sting's like, no, bro, it's not me. But nobody believes him. Right. Yeah. And And that's, to me, the origin of this arc. No, it is. It is. You know what I want to say here? Go ahead. I think one of the one of the strengths of the arc is that the minute Hogan came in, even back when the Thunder in Paradise days, yeah, like Sting was like super underappreciated. Oh yeah, and I think this hit home. People underappreciate him so much that he think they think he would just go to the NWO just like that. Right, and I think that's why this storyline resonated with the audience a lot because it was like they were kind of putting it all out there that yeah sting is underappreciated like sure. he he's he's always been loyal to this company that he's is like true. A, he's like a pretty good wrestler yeah. and like he you know he's he's a solid performer he, he's popular with the fans yada 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 and nobody appreciates him that's absolutely true no that's yeah. the crux of the storyline so what happens is that sting again attacks lex luger and the real sting is like no it really wasn't me so we get to the War Games match, and Sting, I think, wins and uh, or helps them win or something. Or beats down somebody. I forget the exact thing. But the real Sting is all mad at Luger. And he's like, I'm, I'm not fucking going to be doing this anymore, right? Yeah, he, how could you do this? Right. Me? You know what I mean? You're my best friend. Like, right. I, I was with you when you were in Dungeon of Doom. Right. Even. I, I, I'm always the loyal one. Sting, I'm always the loyal one. I've yeah. carried you. I've taken care of you yep. for all this time. Then in October, about a month later, he comes back again, right? And the NWO still has their Sting, who looks like the old Sting. Okay, so I love that, by the way, that he's like Dave Farmer or whatever his name Jeff is. Jeff Farmer. Jeff Farmer. He's just around. He's around, like, way too long. Like, he <laughs> makes it into, like, video games and stuff. He does. He makes stuff. it to the 98, I think, or something like that. He's it's like a long time. He's, like, on Saturday night for, like, two years. Like, I don't even understand. It's amazing. Yeah. Then the real Sting comes back with a brand new look, right? He's got the white face paint and with some black on. He's dressed in all black. His hair's been darker and by now. at the time, this was very cool. Mm-hmm. So the, this That look hit at the no, peak 90s, oh, right? Yeah. Where it was like he looked edgy as hell. It he was looked, only two years after The Crow came out. Yeah, so everyone was like, this is awesome. Yep. You know what my favorite part about this is? He didn't have to wrestle. Any, it was like how they did Austin, where it was like they took him off and they just focused on the character. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I know some people say it was too long, but the point is is that that was their design. Because I think if, you know, ultimately, 
and I'm again, I'm defending the angle up to the point here. No, no. Ultimately, I feel like this is what made the match seem bigger Absolutely. in the eyes of is 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 the year off, right? It's like yeah. the idea that it's like he is so mad at WCW. There's so much rage building up inside, and we're going to incrementally convince him to come back. Right. That 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 was like the, that was the storyline they had planned out. Yep. And it was a good one. Yeah. So he said his last words in that October of 96 Nitro, like the one thing that's sure about Stinger is nothing's for sure anymore, whatever it was. But the only thing that's for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. What does that mean? And then he would just occasionally show up, sometimes in the rafters, sometimes with Randy Savage. That was like brief. Remember Savage like hung out with him up there for a little while. This yeah. is real. Going to see what's up to. <laughs> like January 97. Nothing came of it. <laughs> no, they, of course, it's WCW. Then he would attack people sometimes. He would attack NWO guys or he would he would confront WCW wrestlers and then turn his back to them. Remember that? And yeah. give them a free shot. And when He's kind of like the police officer of WCW. Great. And <laughs> they, they could have done it with Big Boss Man, but okay. <laughs> Finally... Finally, by the later summer of 97, this is going on a year now almost. But again, I'm okay with that if it, of course if you it are. leads to something, right? Oh, yeah, me too. It yeah. lead to a great p- like at payoff. This, at this point in time, we're like, this is fine. Like, right, because let, they had done like, other stuff. Yeah, let's not act like we were like some like geniuses or no, something. No, I wasn't. Like, everyone was like, okay, th- this should go long. Like, it makes sense, right? I, it's no, like, absolutely. He, this is the big guy. This is clearly who they're building up to take out the big bad NWO. Yep. So a uh, brain surgeon, J.J. Dillon, the commissioner, is like, who do you want to fight? Because Sting, like, refuses every contract. And I think it's time for him to step up to the plate and start to tell us what it is he wants. Like, who the fuck do you think he wants to fight, Dillon, you stupid ass? But, but anyway. I think, I think they did that on purpose, too. Because they want the crowd yelling, Hogan, Hogan! Yes. Like, from, like, the, you know, all the kids uh-huh. in the background are yelling, Hogan, Hogan. Of course. Yeah. 100% why. They got to make J.J. Dillon, like, He's I like don't a know. fool. What? Yeah. What? what? Who? <laughs> it's totally them, them, like, trying to get the audience involved. It is. Yeah. No, I know. And, yes, it's going to be Hulk Hogan and Sting at Starcade 97. Starcade. The longest-running WCW event, right? The WrestleMania of WCW. Essentially, right? Since 1983, it had been running. Uh, and this is a place to do this match, right? Right. It's going to be a great card. We're going to have Nash versus the Giant, as long as Nash doesn't no-show. We got Mongo versus Goldberg. It's a great match. It's excellent. It is. Uh, we're going to have Larry Zbysko wrestling Eric Bischoff for no real reason. That was just to see Eric Bischoff get punched. And he did. Finally. He yeah. got punched. That's all that was. And we're going to have uh, Bret Hart making his uh, WCW debut as a referee in the Eric Bischoff versus Larry Zbysko match, which is a great way to debut <laughs> Bret Hart. But that, in in reality, though, that was because of the no-compete or something? They couldn't, like, have him wrestle or something? I think that's the case, yes. Yeah, okay. So they make they they did what they could. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. That's a great place for I know, him. No, it's not good. I'm just saying, like, they that, that was the best. They, yes. they couldn't have him actually wrestle. They couldn't have him wrestle yet. And it wouldn't have made sense. He'd just come yeah. in. But obviously, the centerpiece here, the big deal, the big attraction is going to be Hulk Hogan, the champion, of the NWO, right? This has been going on a long fucking time. He's going to finally one-on-one against the WCW franchise, Sting. This mm-hmm. is a blood feud. This is Sting has been attacking the NWO. He hates Hulk Hogan. This is the, the way he interpreted this like on on screen is that like if WCW doesn't win here, it's fucking over, yeah. man. Like they 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 got no chance. Sting is like all they got left, right? Is yep. like he's he's the most powerful warrior. He's been like Powering up yep. for, for a year. He's like ready to beat down the NWO. There's going to be no NWO if he wins this, right? So we get to the match. 
Sting looks bored as hell. Yeah. He, if you watch this back, he just, it, there's no heat. Do you think he's like in his performance? Do you think that is partially because he was trying to interpret this character that was like, you know what I'm saying? Like the Sting character at that point was supposed to be like, I'm so cool. Like, you know, I don't know. I, maybe I, I think there was some confusion there. I don't, I, I don't know, know what it was. I don't know. It's all speculation. I but just don't want it to be interpreted that like WCW wasn't trying here. That's all I mean. They it's booked like, the right match. They, the people who wrote everything did everything right. I mean, they booked the right yeah. match at the right event. Yeah. I have no complaint there. They booked the worst finish ever, mm-hmm. even if it had gone as planned. So after a boring match, it's not a good match. It mm-hmm. seriously isn't really. Hogan kind of just dominates it the whole time. Yeah. And, they, and then Tony Schiavone's yelling ring rust and stuff. Yeah. Constantly. The crowd is kind of into it. They're, some of them are still cheering Hogan, by the way. They were into the entrances, if I recall. Well, of course. Yeah. Right? Because that sting entrance was actually pretty cool. Well, he walked out. I mean, it's not that cool. No, but the, the, the and the stinger oh, with the, the kid and like, kid. yeah, it's like, they were trying to really be edgy as hell it with wasn't. sting. Like, they, they were Dopey. like, yeah. Who cares? So they have this doofus match, right? Where Hogan just dominates it. Mm-hmm. You would think, and this is a real question, Quinn. I'm not just in like I hate WCW character mode. You would think though that the match would have been executed differently, wouldn't you, for all this build? And it's just like a generic Hogan, like, beating him down type of thing. It's just weird. I would think if they were going to go the Hogan dominates early route, that there would be a moment where Sting would be like, I was just letting you. You know what I mean? Like, I was there just like, and, and then he, all of a sudden he wakes up. Jerry and, Lawler Memphis style, and right? kicks the utter shit out of Hulk Hogan. Like, it was like, what do you think I've been doing this whole time? I've been training. Right. Like, I, I, I'm just taking it. And then it's like, it, it, like maybe there's a moment where Sting points him and it's like, is that all you got? Right. Like, you know what I mean? And then just Hogan, no! Maybe Sting like, rips his shirt off. Right. Something like that. Just yeah. something. Yeah. And then maybe just the old school pound right. or right, something. Right. Like, yeah. that. Like, to me, that's like definitely where they could have gone with that. I agree with you. Now, I've heard other people say what the match should have been is three minutes and Sting beats the shit out of Hogan, but... They, it's a main event at a major... They can't a, do that. Yeah. A. Two, Hulk Hogan is not going to do that. I don't think. I mean, I know you got to do what your boss tells you to do, but his boss is Eric Bischoff, and Bischoff's not going to yeah. tell him to do that. Yeah. They're not going to squash Hogan they at Starcade. They could have also not. done, like, the power of WCW friendship, and, like... And I'm not even kidding here, because it, it's supposed to encapsulate, like, the NWO being defeated. Maybe once Sting makes that comeback... The whole NWO tries to stop it, but then the WCW guys come out and they finally like do what they should have fucking done from the beginning, and they like stop the NWO and they're like brawling all around the ring, and then like Hogan goes down to Sting while the, all this chaos is happening. All of that would have made sense. Yeah. What they do, obviously. <laughs> well, the planned finish, I should say, yeah. is that Hogan, who has been dominating the match, gets his finisher on Sting. Right. And it's supposed to be a fast count. Right. But it's not a fast count. He yeah, just Nick flat out pins up. him. Yeah. Someone does something. Yeah. And Hogan pins him. Then, Bret Hart. <laughs> I can't believe this is what, what so, they did. So, can we, can we, we have to mention, the one thing we have to mention Ugh, is yeah. that WCW thinks they are so smart uh, yeah, to right. capitalize on the on Montreal the month, month before, yeah, right? Yeah, they think it's good. So, their idea is like, 
well, we got this because everyone is yelling like writers and stuff throughout and Smarks and everyone is like, man, this whole Montreal thing, like WCW really has to capitalize on this. You have to remember that's like in the mindset of Mm -hmm. all this bullshit, right? Oh, well, we'll use it right here. This is perfect. Bret Hart's a guest referee. You know, he can, you know, that's what they think. I'm just saying it's not good, but that's what they think. And it makes sense why they would think it. Let's put it that way. I get what you mean. And I agree with that point. So Bret Hart comes out like half talks him in the mic. Maybe doesn't even use the mic. I don't know. And he's like, I'm not going to allow it to happen or whatever. Not again. I said it never happened again. It's not going to happen again. Punches Nick Patrick, who again to the viewer did nothing wrong. <laughs> and then, but you have to remember too, is Nick Patrick was the is he the fake ref or is he not? I know, nobody, but he had not knows. been in the NWO for months and months and months but and months. Were suppo- they were tr- what they were trying to do if they did fuck up the count was to have Nick Patrick like essentially that was the the, the Trump card for Hogan, right? Like yes. that, like Nick Patrick, uh-huh. it, he was just a mole again, uh-huh. and like they said, we'll we'll turn him good, but really when the time comes. Fuck over Sting. Did they need to go that route to begin with with this finish, though? I mean, it was very NWO origin story. But enough with the NWO origin story. Yeah, enough with all the chicanery. Anyway, yeah. so Bret Hart's like, no, you can't do that. And then uh, Sting was able to get a few moves off and actually look like he cares finally in the fucking match mm-hmm. after he got pinned and then gets uh, Hogan in the Scorpion Deathlock. That's Bre- the that's the money shot they wanted was Bret Hart. Yeah. You know, that was whatever. Yeah. This is what this whole thing had been building to. This whole NWO angle, Sting Hogan had been building to Bret Hart as a referee. I, I know, but you, Starcade. Know, you know that's like what Bischoff or what, whoever was thinking. It was like, wow, this will be the true capitalization. It was like Bret Hart kind of doing what, you know. Doing what got ba- done to him. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's really, really poor, Quinn. And yeah. I'm not going to lie. But it really second, it puts, it makes their big angle second fiddle to Montreal, which is kind <laughs> it's of. It's also the, stupid. That Which is why it's like a mistake. And I get why people don't like it. It's heinous, okay? Yeah. Now, Sting does win. Most of the crowd is happy. Yeah. And uh, it's a big celebration. Trying to get him over. Can he get him turned? There it is. Shut down on him. Check it out. Hunt. Red Hart down. Hart's right in the Of course, maybe 10 days later, the title is vacated. Right. It stays vacant until February of 98 at Super Brawl where Sting defeats Hogan in a do-over, wins the title, loses it to Randy Savage, why not? And all the air is officially sucked out of that angle, and things go on, and uh, Hogan becomes the champion again, as we all know, by defeating Randy Savage, right? and loses it to Goldberg. So, the facts of the matter is that they built a really great angle. They yeah. really did. We have to give them credit there. I agree. A year build, which is like a rarity Unheard for WCW. Yeah. They booked the match. They put all the pieces in place. Whatever the plan finish was, was stupid. This the, reeks of like, they got they got Bret Hart and they were like, we have to change everything. Uh, That's horrible. what this reeks of. Uh, maybe. And the executed finish was even worse than what they had planned. The follow through was bad because the title became vacant. And uh, it ultimately wound up with Hogan just being the guy again after a couple of little things. And then losing that to Goldberg and Sting is kind of an afterthought. And uh, it was really bad, and they are very lucky that they caught fire with Goldberg in 98. Mm-hmm. That's all I can say. They were very always, lucky. You they know are what I've very always, lucky. You know what I've always wondered about all of this? What? The problem with the idea from the get-go of, like, Sting 
being this like big savior or whatever was that you had some fans thinking that like this would launch sting or something but here was the thing is he was already like a launched character oh i know so it was like one of the it, it was one of those weird situations that maybe yeah he ends this thing but after he ends this nwo thing it's really got nothing else to do because it's like was his singular focus so like what even like what what did people even expect to happen after this was all said and done? That he had an actual world title reign of any substance? Yeah, maybe, but he I, didn't really. Yeah, I but even is even as a kid I was like, well, even if he gets the title like there's nothing really left to do with the stinger at that point, which is kind of annoying, but well, because it's WCW there isn't, you know, yeah. if there was cohesive storytelling, maybe they could have gone on to other things, but I just think that it shouldn't have gone back to Hogan, but like maybe well, everyone thinks that. that that should have been like the NWO just is like, no, and they like fade away or whatever. But like, and they do Wolfpack instead and they yeah. split off and Sting joins Wolfpack and that's what happened. Can I say I loved Wolfpack Sting for whatever reason, because I thought it was cool that he had the red paint. I liked it too. Yeah. All right. Let's rank. Mm-hmm. Number one, the finger poke. Two is Nash Goldberg. Three, Arquette. Four is Hogan Yaka. Yeah. Five is back on Brett and six is Montreal. Vince Russo, I think the thing is, it's worse than Backlund Brett, and it's worse than Montreal. I mean, it, yeah, it's worse than both of those, right? Yeah, it's definitely worse than those. I think it's worse than Hogan Yoko. Yeah, but I think it stopped short of David Arquette. I think that's exactly where it belongs, because they're both the same thing. They're the same. They're like a symptom of the problem, but actually the Vince Russo is even more, lesser than the David Arquette. Thing. I agree. That's just like how, that's just the long and short of it. It's just like, that's it. I think there's two reasons. One, it happened uh, later when even less people cared. Yeah. So it didn't, it hurt stuff even less. It like extra didn't matter. <laughs> right. Two, um, Vince Russo at the very least was like a WCW employee and an on-screen character. <laughs> it wasn't a, yeah. It wasn't an actor it's the, from it's Scream. Like, here's the thing. It's the same thing as David Arquette, except with a WCW employee. That's it, that, it, That's all it is. Like, literally, they're almost the same thing. It's, it's accidental a, win. Accidental it's win. Like no, the same shit. No real rain. You know, give yeah. it up immediately. Mm-hmm. The difference is Russo's happened later and no one cared as much. Like, it... I didn't even care. I was like, okay, of course he did. Yeah. You know, it's like when Vince won the WWF because, title. I think it was because Vince McMahon had won it already that I didn't care. I, like, I yeah. was like, oh, this WWF did this. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's literally how I looked at yeah. it. It didn't bother me. It didn't make me happy. I it, didn't it was, give a shit. I was that so this indifferent, right? I'm surprised nobody voted in Vince wins the title. It's just as, it's just as egregious. We still got uh, another round of these, Quinn, so you don't okay. know. Yeah, at least with Vince, though, he had. He's big or something, so it makes him more credible. He's I don't strong. know. Yeah. I don't know. Triple H still kicked his ass, though, until yeah. Austin stunned Triple H, and still then Vince won it. mostly a guy in a suit. Yeah, like, exactly. Let's like, not act like this. I know. Yeah. But it's not like Vince Russo winning the title killed WCW. It didn't make it better. We mm-hmm. are not saying it's good. No. It's poor. I mean, it's number four, for gosh sakes, there. Yeah, for gosh sakes. Yeah. And I think it stays there. I think it's slightly, minorly better than the Arquette thing. For the reasons we discussed. It's it's the same thing as the Arquette thing, though. Just less worse. Yes. There you go. The first two on the list, Quinn, are very consequential. Mm-hmm. The finger poke and Nash Goldberg. And they involve actual wrestlers. And they could have turned things around. And it would have been great. You know what I mean? It's just like mm-hmm. fucking stuff up. Whereas Russo and Arquette, it didn't really fuck anything up. It was already bad. All right. Sting. Hogan. Is okay. worse than Montreal. Yes. Thank you. Oh, definitely. Is it worse than Backlund Brett? Yes. You are being surprisingly agreeable. Is it worse than Hogan Yoko? Yes. 100%. Okay. 
Is Sting Hogan at Starcade 97 worse than Vince Russo winning the world title? I will say yes. I think you'll be surprised where I'm thinking here. Okay. Why is it worse, though, than that? Because it is has some has some negative consequences. It does. Like, like I've always said, it's not as negative as later stuff. It's just like a bump in the road. Mm. It really is like if you watch after it. Like if you've seen 98 WCW. Like it, it, I did. Believe it, me, I did. It's actually like really they kind of just, you know, they kind of they kind of take the punch to the gut and they move on and they're fine. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they really are. Like, let's let's be fair. Because they still had a stacked lineup in their undercard and everything. They did. They, they still had a couple of stars. They had Bret Hart and stuff. And some people like that Bret Hart, you know, was there and yada yada. I mean, like, it's not like the end of the fucking line. And still Goldberg was to come. He was already rocking and rolling. So it was like, yes, bad. I get it. Very. But the, the, the thing that I always... The, my crux of my argument has always been with this is that... It's not like, oh, the, WCW was fucked after this happened. Like, it was over. They were never good again. Like, that is bullshit to me. Okay. I'm assuming for the same reason you're making this worse, though, than the Arquette thing, correct? Yes. So it's going up against Nash Goldberg. Is that correct? That's It's going up against that. And so my dilemma personally right now, is it worse than Nash Goldberg it, but it's not worse than the finger poke. There's no way. We didn't get there yet, though. Yeah, We're still doing it against saying, Nash like, Goldberg. But my dilemma right now, is it is it two or is it three? That's personally okay. my feeling Let's here. examine the facts, the tale of the tape. Yeah. Both are main events of the biggest show of the year. Right. Both are stupid finishes to a world title match yes. at the biggest show of the year. Yes. As dumb as the taser one is... The actual execution of the Sting Hogan finish is worse in terms of what you see on TV. Worse, yes. That's what I mean. But because of the not fast count and the Bret Hart, very bad. But to counter that, the effects of the Nash Goldberg are infinitely worse. I don't know. I think the finger poke is the worst thing. Right. But it set that into motion. Like it, it, it did. Here's the thing, though. If they didn't fuck up Starcade 97 the way they did and have to get all haphazard, vacate the title, give it back to Sting, ultimately Hogan gets it. But by the time it. the Goldberg like world champion arc started, that was far in the past for, for WCW. But the thing is, is we don't know what would have happened had they not fucked up Starcade 97. It could have been a whole new awesome thing for WCW with Sting as champion, maybe feuding with Goldberg. Maybe they don't need to push Goldberg as quickly as they do. They are so lucky they got Goldberg, Quinn. They are. If they didn't. They are. If they didn't, they would have had a much worse 98. And that is why I think this is so bad, is they got lucky. They got so lucky that they caught fire. Go ahead. Did they get lucky? Yes. No, but here's, here's what I'm trying to point out. Go ahead. Is, Pete, you're failing to forget, to remember... That Bill Goldberg had already started his thing. I know that prior to Starcade '97. I agree. That shit was that ball started in September. That ship had started to sail already. They are lucky that it caught on the way it did. Is what I'm right? saying. Additionally, they still had they, they they. It's not like they didn't plan for. Okay, what is 1998 going to be like? They picked up Bret Hart. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They it's didn't like, do anything 
with him in the world right, title scene. Right. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that it's WCW didn't go into this without like backups, essentially. You know what I mean? They had a they they were still picking up guys. They were still doing things. Yeah. That to me, yes, the Sting Hogan is a horrible execution and ending, but I think no matter what happened, what whether it was the greatest ending ever or the worst, I think that personally the writers there were just going to end that arc anyway. That that arc, well, you know what I'm saying? Generally, then, you end an arc with a blow off like that. Sure, exactly, absolutely. Exactly. And why I've always said, I, this is the comment that gets me in trouble all the time. Why I've always said is it did what it needed to do is because. Because at the end of the day, all they really were going to do, whether no matter how good or bad it ended, they were just going to have like Sting stand there gloriously with the title and blah, blah, blah. Whatever happened afterwards, we know how WCW is. They'll they'll never like let go of some good thing that they did previously. They were never going to let go of the NWO. Well, that's clear. You know what I mean? Like they, 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 they till the day they died, they kept they kept trying to milk the NWO cash cow. I find it hard to believe though that after all this build, their master plan was to have Sting win it and then vacate it eight days later. 10 I don't days think later. they ever thought about what would happen after. Well, that's it. why this yeah, is bad. Quinn. Yeah, I don't think they, this is why it's bad. All they were looking for, and I'm not even joking with you, they wanted that shot at the very end well, where Sting is like being like hoisted uh, amongst the WCW roster and he's holding up the belt. That's what they wanted. Well, that's all they, that's really all they plan to do. You can tell that. Then that makes this even worse because we have all this build, this great angle that we both gave credit to and it's all for naught. It's all for nothing. Why is that good? Why is that good? The Nash Goldberg really was just completely off the wall. And that, see, that's, that's the transgression I can't forgive. It's the, we built this character up just to kill him. Like, just to never make him important ever again. Because, he, like, you always keep saying he never won the world yeah, title. Yeah, no, it. it was, it was and it, horrible like, I what they did like with him. I felt like that was a way bigger transgression than, at the very least, having Sting being hoisted with the world belt and everything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and again, WCW at that time was so focused on the, like we, we talked about earlier in this, is that they were so focused on this, there's got to be some big controversial thing. But there didn't need to be. There didn't. You're right. The finish is bad, even but, if it had been executed the way they planned it. But I think they, they were they were reveling in the idea that the fans were talking about, like, well, should Hogan be the champion? They like Part of them, me knows that that's what Bischoff wants. He wants everyone to, like, it's so controversial. They can't change the channel. What What if there's new? It stinks. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that, like, this is how they did things well, back then. Yeah, and that's why they're not here. But Nash and Goldberg and leading to the finger poke felt like this fucking dead end. Like, just like, this is, ne- they're never going to, this sucks. Like, they're never going to be as good at this ever again. This is, it's over. Like, that's how it felt it. as a fan. They could have fixed the Nash Goldberg thing. If, if they didn't do the finger poke, it though, Quinn. felt like such a betrayal. Well, I'll like, tell you, yeah, I mean, I agree with, I do agree, but I'm saying with the Sting Hogan thing, after all this build, that's what we get. That is what we got. Just the piece of shit, boring ass match with Bret Hart. It's so poor. I'm saying it's such a bad finish to a world title match at the biggest show of the year and the hottest angle. It's horrible. I will say this: it's a horrible way to do it. In this case, I will take being underwhelmed with underwhelmed but getting what i wanted with sting with the world title versus completely just giving me the fucking middle finger 
killing off a character, essentially. You know what I mean? Leading to the finger poke and all this. Like, I will take that over this. That's how I've always felt about the situation. I feel like I've been like misinterpreted in that way. It's like it's like I can't properly look at Starcade '97 and not look to the next year and see the much more egregious middle finger to my face. Like I'm not disputing the Nash Goldberg stuff, yeah. and I'm not disputing the finger poke. You know that. What I am disputing is this is a horrible way to blow off an angle, and then Sting is barely the champion. And within months, it's back in Hogan's hands again. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a stupid-ass thing. It It is is a horrible way. It's stupid. Because of the magnitude of the Hogan-Sting angle and for how long it had been built and where it took place and when, to put out an ending like that, then to strip Sting of the title and to have all this bullshit... Why does Randy Savage have the title in the midst of this, by the way? Exactly! (laughs) And why is it back on Hogan? It nullified everything that happened. All of this for a camera shot? All of this for a camera shot of Sting celebrating... I'm just just saying, that's Uh, the kind of company they were. But it wasn't even the best camera shot because when Luger won it in August of 97, that was a better gig. It should have just... That was better. It should have always just been Luger. I know! Like, that maybe he gets... He got fucked and lost the title back, but then, like, the rest of the year is building up. But the thing was, is they were already, like... The Sting train had already started, so they were kind of like, well, it's got to be Sting, I guess. But either way, like... It's just like Goldberg really felt like the big draw in the end. Like through all of this, like like Sting was produced by them. Goldberg was organic, and and to like rip that organic flower out of its you know pot and kill it essentially was very annoying to me. Well, Quinn, the guy was undefeated for over a year. He was the world champion. He beat Hulk Hogan clean on TV. At some point, he has to lose the fucking title. I don't like the manner in which they did it, and I certainly don't like the follow-up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think anyone does. Yeah. But he still had to lose at some point, and Kevin Nash was sure. popular at the time. The Sting Hogan thing, this should have been the greatest fucking ending to any WCW pay-per-view, but instead... <laughs> Bret Hart is involved in it. Why? What is Bret Hart you know doing my, in this? You know what my favorite part about you being upset about it? It's the only time in your life where you'll ever say, wow, Bret Hart shouldn't have been involved no, in something. No, he shouldn't have. This is so stupid. In any other scenario, you'd be like, Bret Hart makes everything better. And if Hogan wasn't going to do a clean finish, then why book the fucking match? Let's be honest. Hulk Hogan was never going to. Oh, he did it to Goldberg? Yeah, Put over only, Goldberg clean. Only after, only with, only to lead to like some bullshit where he gets the title back again. Doesn't he always get and, the title back and again? Then, and then he even he even won bigger because Goldberg just became nothing after. <laughs> like Sting was never the same Sting, either. Though. Yeah, but at he least was still Sting well hung regarded. around and like he hung was, around. Yeah, at least Sting hung around and like he could. He was always a guy they could give the belt back to. <sighs> Goldberg, they just like completely fucked him. I'm gonna. I'm going to say this. I, I know I'm not going to convince you to get it above Nash Goldberg. Because I just I, don't think it's as I, I mean, worse. I do. I, I do think it's as worse. But here's what I will ask you. Sting Hogan is probably the worst possible way they could have. The way they did it is the worst way they could have blown it off. I don't care that it's Sting a worse, won. It's a worse ending than he Nash like Goldberg. like a loser. But the implications are ultimately nothing. No, they're not. It's just that... WCW was very fortunate that they had Goldberg or else... And that's fine. I don't care how it's better. It's just, it is. It's like, not really better. But it is. It's, it's not really better. It's it's really not. It's, it's very bad. It's also very, very bad. 
It's horrible. It's a very bad way to do something. I think I always look through It this, should be illegal. I, I think I always look through the lens of what how fans look at this. They look at both Sting, Hogan, and Nash Goldberg as the end of WCW. Ooh, scary. The end of WCW. This is what did it. It's an and omen. This is an omen, whereas the other thing is like... The first step? Is, is like the, the first hammer in the death knell. Does that make sense? I'm sure. Like that's the, and I I just I can't. I'm not going to try to like put it. Listen, I'm yeah. not either. I'm not going to put it. I'm not going to try anymore to put it above Nash Goldberg. I'm not. Yeah. Okay. It's bad. I'm not, and I'm, I want to make that clear. Oh wait. Okay. Let me. It stinks. So so Quinn, just once and for all, please. Yeah. Is Sting Hogan at Starcade '97? Is it good? It's not good. Is it bad? It's bad. It's just not. It like, didn't deliver. Did it's it? It's just not the worst. Did it deliver? How come you the can't only, just say no to this question? The, the, it didn't deliver. The only reason I can't say no is just because, like, they got the money shot. They got the, the fucking hoist. Like, that out. was, like, what they wanted. It delivered what they wanted. It might not deliver what everyone else wanted, but it delivered what the, what the company was aiming to do. It was a fucking clusterfuck is yeah. what it was, Quinn. It was, it was a cluster. It was really bad. It was pretty clustery. But, but like, he, but here's to your credit, though, yeah. okay? To your credit. WCW still enjoyed... In 1998, whatever you think of the creative, because some of it is really good and some of it's not, some of their highest buy rates yeah. on pay-per-view and some really good ratings still throughout 98. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, I'm okay with leaving it at number three because in 99 is when everything really started yeah. to tank. They it started to lose in 98. They started the decline, but they still had really good buy rates and they still had really yeah. good ratings. And it was 99 when it started to die. There's a lot of aspects to I do think Sting versus Hogan is a very interesting case study on top of it. Yeah, we should talk about it sometime. Yeah, <laughs> I just know in, in the sense that like one thing we kept talking about with this, that this forced us to talk about was that. Goldberg was already, the ball was already rolling It there. was already rolling. For all we know, I don't know this, but was the decision, that was the reason this was lessened was because the decision was, you know what, that Goldberg thing that we started up, it's way better, a way better idea. Even if you that's, know, like, maybe, it, but you know, I don't like, think it, so that we early. We don't know that. Though. I don't know that yeah. that early. I'm just saying, it's like, they had like, weirdly for, they were, actually a very lucky company because they had yes. they had two aces they literally had two aces in the hole, yeah, they had a that, hole they, right. they, that they could have just if one didn't work they could go to the other like right yeah no they, i know look the, this is my least favorite one yeah but it's marginally less consequential than the two that are above it okay yes that's that's the point the major point i wanted to make in all this this is still like on paper and practice the worst one for me yes i think it's a stupid but the consequences are much softened <sighs> let's put it that way they got very lucky even you just admitted that they mm -hmm. got very lucky in 98 and they had great buy rates don't get me wrong i'm not they did good business whereas in 99 they did much worse business yes as the year went on so okay number three i uh, think that's fair no like, I, <laughs> I think that's absolutely fucking fair i totally agree with you and at least i got you to admit that it sucks at least I got yeah. you to admit that I'll it's admit bad. I'll admit it sucks. It's that's not, bad. But like I said, for WCW, that's what they wanted. Yeah. For 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 you fans at home, definitely not what you wanted. Let's definitely not what I wanted. I thought yeah. it was dopey. Yeah. Anyway, we've made it through another week of the Royal Flush. At number one, it's still the Finger Poke of Doom. Two is Nash Goldberg. 
Three is uh, Sting Hogan. I'm sure Chuck Mass is going to bitch at me for not fighting hard enough, but whatever. Four, it's horrible. Go it's ahead and do it, Chucky. It's at you, number three. Chucky, make your case. Please no. tag Quinn and me in your, in your post. Uh, number four, David Arquette. Five, Vince Russo. Six, Hogan Yoko, WrestleMania 9. Seven, Bret Hart Backlund, which is good and shouldn't be on here. And uh, eight, Sean <laughs> and Bret Montreal, which also shouldn't be on here. That is the Royal Flush for this week. we got one more week to go. And Quinn, when we come back, it's a tribute to a friend. We're reviewing the AWA from 1974, and there's a very good reason for that. That'll be coming up right after this. Hell, I was the one that had to say, was that a fast count? That was a fast count. I thought it was going to be a fast count. What the fuck's going on? (laughs) We had a plan. It was a year-long plan, and it was in motion. And that day, suddenly it, it wasn't in motion like it was anymore. So lots of changes, lots of behind-the-doors meetings happening. Um, And um, I think because of that, number one, I don't believe that our match actually followed the big build-up. No, you're right. It it, it did not follow. Um, But I think it was due to all the chaos that happened, you know, the hours that, you know, of that day that led up to the match. And not knowing for sure what we were going to do and how we were going to do it, literally, until we walked through the curtain. I, I think if we'd have just kept with the game plan and done what, what we had all agreed on, things would have been a lot different. The match would have been so much better. Right. The finish, the reaction, everything would have been better. And um, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. Hello, wrestling fans. It's time to shout out our friends of the show now. These are other independent podcasters that do their best each and every week to put out a unique program focusing on old wrestling, kind of like OVP. Let's start with the best of Southern Fried Wrestling. We're talking filthy. We're talking unprofessional wrestling podcast. We're talking about booking the territory where you will get your fix of the NWA each week. And then for a whimsical journey led by one man, Pete Winson, Check out Greetings from Allentown. It might be WWF, it might be WCW, it could be Mid-South. So check out our friends of the show. We're talking about Booking the Territory and Greetings from Allentown. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast, episode 228. Thanks for being with us. Real flushes in the books, and uh, we're going to be reviewing something. Quinn, we're doing this one. This is chosen by us, actually, this time around. Mm-hmm. Although you guys can put specific episode requests on Facebook. We have an announcement post. But we wanted to pick this one. Uh, Some of you probably know, maybe most of you do. uh, Several weeks ago, we were informed that one of our first fans, Ruben Vasquez Jr., sadly uh, passed away back in April, which we found out a few weeks ago. And uh, Ruby was somebody that every Monday on Twitter, Quinn, he would uh, say how he was starting off his day right by listening to OVP. He was a, a fan through and through, and I always appreciated this, like, whatever he could do to really kind of, like, to shout us s- out, shout out the show. Just a great guy funny, altogether. Funny, funny. Yep. Great sense of humor. Great sense of humor. Big, always always loved his Mac Rivera. Yep. Anytime we would uh, post something, he'd always work Mac Rivera into it. Mm-hmm. And another thing that Ruby was, was um, an AWA fan at first. So that was his first promotion that he watched. So we always would bust his balls for that. And he would always, you know, joke around about the AWA. Uh, so this one's for Ruben, right, Quinn? I mean, Definitely. this is... This is totally for Ruben. And I was super sad to hear this, this yeah, news. It, it um, is sad. I it mean, just came out of nowhere, too. Yeah. 
and he was a a great contributor. Like I said, one of our one of our first fans. Yeah, he will definitely like always be remembered on yep. this show. Yep, he he always will. He's in our banner right now on yep. the Facebook group. We're gonna miss him, mm-hmm. so we wanted to do this in his honor. It is uh, AWA All Star Wrestling. This is August tenth, nineteen seventy four. Quinn, which well, is we're going, we're going back. Yeah, uh, like I said, this one's for Ruben. Yep. That's that was my first thing in this notes. Yep, this is for Ruben. Hopefully, this <laughs> since we're doing this one for Ruben, yes. this can be the legendary good episode of AWA. <laughs> uh, so we're digging back to the seventies this time, the Lake Minnetonka heyday. That's right, Let, Quinn. Let's do it. Let's give them a good shot here, right? Yep. And I'll briefly summarize our love hate relationship with AWA. Yes. Um, We've reviewed a, a bunch of it over the course of doing reviews, and it's usually very bad. And part of that is because I think we intentionally choose the bad era. Like we've done that on purpose. We're not going to lie. We've done like, but we've done nineteen ninety. But we've also tried to do when it was good. We okay. So this is what I want to say here. Allegedly, from the AWA fans, they tell us that like eighty three, eighty four, eighty five, like is still it's a good, still good. It's yeah. still a good heyday, but no evidence of that has ever existed. No. Um, that I've ever seen. So that's really why we went further back this Correct. time because we're like, we need to like ensure it's good. Right. We really want to give it a shot. Now, if maybe you're listening and you're not really up to speed on the AWA, because some people just aren't, you know what I mean? They it only- has been gone since like 1990. Yeah, exactly. It was Vern Gagne's promotion out in Minnesota and it split off from the NWA in 1960. And Vern Gagne was a promoter, obviously, and the primary champion, and Nick Bockwinkel being the other. Uh, starting in the 80s. One of the things about the AWA, Quinn, is in the 70s particularly, is when they really picked up steam and they they got into a lot of different markets. We're not just talking Minnesota. They were all over for a period of time. Mm -hmm. They got on cable after a while and they were a well-regarded company and truly had some of the best talent came out of there. 100%. The best talent of the 70s. Yeah, into the 80s. You know, We're talking guys like Ric Flair came out of there. Mm-hmm. Superstar Billy Graham passed through there. Uh, Jesse Ventura. Iron Sheik. Iron Sheik. Larry Hennig. Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig. Their, their training camp was very legendary for producing essentially the main people of the 80s. A lot of the main people. Yeah. You know? And not even just them. I mean, you, know, you mentioned Sheik, but like Bobby Heenan came out of there. Yeah. Or was spent a lot of time there. Ray Stevens was a name. Mean Gene. Mean Gene from there. Obviously, Hulk Hogan passed through there, Mm -hmm. was there a long time. Sherry Martell, the Rockers, Rick Martell was there for a while. It basically became like the training ground for all the best. And they had a um, stacked roster of veterans from the 60s. They really did, yeah, from the 60s and early 70s. Yeah. It was, uh, it's a lot of good talent. And we, it was a good collection of new and old in its time. It's just, it stagnated once. The 80s came along and Vince's national expansion, and they just didn't make the right moves to keep up when they were in a good position to do that. Yes. And that's like why it's like always considered so unfortunate, right? It's because they bungled the one thing they needed to do to Mu- stay on top. Much like WCW at Starcade 97. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, but you're absolutely right, Quinn. They, they had a lot going for them, including Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. And uh, things kind of went downhill in the mid-80s for the AWA. I would say their biggest problem was Vern Gagne the, himself. I think a lot of people would agree. <laughs> and the stubbornness there yeah. on the old promoter. But, Quinn, like you said, we're digging into the 70s this time. It's uh, AWA All-Star Wrestling, August 10th, 74. You know what's funny about this, I noticed? The day after Nixon resigned. That's how old this is. Oh, really? Nixon. Nixon. Yeah. That's the day after he got on the I plane. I resigned the presidency. <laughs> yeah. Nixon. I'm not a crook. 
And that's an NBC camera, I presume. No, that's their whole CBS camera. Standard joke. <laughs> Quinn, it's a very patriotic intro here, right? 60 minutes of the hottest Matt action. That's right. All-Star Wrestling. After you're done watching your Watergate, it's time, it's time for this. <laughs> and it features stars from the United States, Europe, England, which is not in Europe, uh, Australia, Algeria, Canada, Puerto Rico, Japan. And you know what? The graphics are pretty good for 1974. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. So. Are any of those areas like actually in this episode? Europe. Japan. Europe. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we go right to the ring here where our very mild-mannered ring announcer, Marty O'Neill, he was the long-timer there, introduces... Sunglasses always <laughs> in, in like this a, dim place. Like gorilla. He introduces Quinn, the very capable Bill Howard. He weighs 239 pounds, the very capable Bill Howard. Bill Howard. That's a fantastic yeah, nickname. Very capable. <laughs> and we're going to learn all of... Basically, I think these are private nicknames of Marty O'Neill because Definitely. he just makes shit up. When every, everybody that comes out is like, he's a very good and I like him. Um, the it's this fantastic guy. tipper. Yeah, it's know? like, yeah. It's just whatever the fuck is on his head, on his, in, his, in his brain. You know? He's great at hailing a cab. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Weird shit. He once and, bought me a submarine sandwich. <laughs> like, uh, this man. <laughs> Also, by the way, uh, Howard here is from Kenosha. Maybe he knows Gus Polinski, you know. Mm-hmm. He actually does look like the drummer for the Kenosha Kickers. Yeah, we sold about 623 copies of that. In Chicago? No, Sheboygan. Very big in Sheboygan. They loved it. Now, his opponent is a very friendly gentleman from Poland, Ivan Putski. Wait, what? Yep. And I like the way Marty pronounces it, Potski. Yes, just blatantly. Doesn't <laughs> even correct him. Ladies and gentlemen, Ivan Potski. Potski. And then Marty keeps talking here, so Pussy storms out, and he's like, and if I don't watch out, he's going to wind up with the microphone, the cord, and a few other things. Like, just commentary from Marty O'Neill. It's great. And if I don't watch out, he's going to wind up with the microphone, the cord, and a few other things. He's got, like, the Scott Steiner-style, like, singlet with the shorts thing yeah, going on. Yeah, the white on. one, yes. The white one. But for some reason, he's wearing the black, like, underpants trunks, like, over, over that. It. For no reason. Like, almost like, I don't know, he's, like, guarding his bulge or something. <laughs> I don't know why he's wearing that. I don't know. Now, he's um he's in his early 30s here, believe it or not, and he'd already been wrestling for that's six pretty, years. That's pretty young, actually. Yeah, no, Because like, that's, like, right when you make it in. Right. Because like, it takes, like, 10 years-ish to, like, get popular enough. Yep, pretty right? much. So, we go down to Roger Kent, who's on commentary. The ref, by the way, looks like our old lunch lady, Miss Linz. I'm just <laughs> wow, what a what, what a fucking call that Clean was. Clean up your garbage. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna circle on our slot by Howard. Don't blame Scotty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Roger sounds drunk already. I like Roger Kent. He's very funny here. He's good. I'm trying to get around Putsky. Anybody's got a heck of a time getting around Putsky. Uh, Vladik Ivan Putsky. Putsky uh, quickly takes Mr. Capable down. Uh, by the way, the crowd is very polite in watching this. They're not really saying much. Uh, mm-hmm. Ken talks about Putsky's thigh muscles, and then he turns into, like, Frank Caliendo's impression of John Madden. They're covered up by... and uh, Maybe he keeps them covered to keep from from uh, getting Charlie horses in him. And now he's getting cautioned and told something by the referee, and I'm no, I know this much. The referee didn't get it across. Saying that, you know, you go to a different place and you do different things. Uh, still working with Al Michaels, of course, uh, the greatest announcer in the world, if you don't Count like 30 or 40 other guys. Kent now says that Putsky is cuckoo for candy and toys, 
especially sucker squinty. Loves suckers. Very Minnesota. <laughs> sucker. Is he cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? He too? should be. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be calling a lot of moves with Roger Kent here, no. by the way. Also, Putski loves the toys, too. We're told. Like, what is it? He loves just, toys. Like, random conversation about, like, who is this guy? That's all That's all they want to tell us about. They don't care about the wrestling. Like, he's going to win. You know he's going to win. It's yes. like, he's not a jobber. And we get a Why side... is he like his character is a child? A man like, child. Yeah, he's like a man. It's weird. Is Roger Kent just making all this shit up? Probably. Probably. Side highlight by the puts is Kent now talks about how Putski gives all those toys to the crippled children at Christmas. Aw, that's so nice. Very nice. Double chin lock by Putski, beard toss. We now get a shot of Roger Kent at the table. He looks like fucking Dick Cavett out there. I don't know what this is with his Dick hair. Dick Cavett is such a weird person, by the way. I I just find it odd that his show, strange like, show. existed in 73 iterations up oh, to yeah. like the 90s. Into the 90s, like, it's like right. uh, If you ever look up the Dick Cavett show Wikipedia, they have to like specify which iteration <laughs> of it is. Like the John Lennon one is maybe the CBS version or forget, something. Yeah, like, uh, like that, you know, like the early 70s. But like he always had a show. Yep. It would just, it was like a traveling circus. It would like move around from network to network. Are, are you in any sense in contact with each other? Um, I mean, yeah, I saw him last night actually at the premiere of Raga. What did you say? Did I you said, hi, hello. Putski goes into a very sloppy boxing pose as we switch to a shittier camera here. Yeah, dark cam. What was that? It was like- it's just like there's this one cam that they go to, but not all the time every now and then. But when they go to it, it's like all dark and it takes a minute for the light to hit it or something. Yes, that's right. Noticed that? It takes a minute for the light to like catch up or something. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Collar and elbow back on the ropes and Howard some punches that have no effect on the puts there. Howard then says, fuck it, gouges the eyes. Putski, meanwhile, looks like 90s Dom DeLuise in there. <laughs> uh, he fires back with rights and lefts off the ropes, shoulder block off the ropes again. Another one, Irish whip by the puts, Polish axe. Yeah, apparently the Polish hammer is an axe in AWA. <laughs> yeah. It's the same move. It is, the Polish It's literally hammer. the same thing that you know as the Polish hammer. They just call it the Polish axe. Just a different tool, I yeah. guess, you know what I mean? A uh, butt drop by Putski gets the win, as I'm really hoping for him to grab the mic, but he doesn't. He just happily waves to the people, and they cheer, and we sadly fade away. No Polish power, no singing. Uh, we come back, though, where the next match is in the ring. Marty O'Neill introduces him as Mr. Rodriguez. Yeah. In the corner behind me, he is from Chicago. He weighs 225 pounds. Mr. Rodriguez. Rodriguez. You know he just didn't know his first name. He doesn't. He didn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. His opponent, weighing a tremendous 310 pounds, <laughs> they call him the Paul Bunyan of the Midwest. What? Again, he's just making shit up, Marty O'Neill. He's just like, that. that's what they say. What? Like, the who? And who is it? It's Larry the Axe Hennig. Big booze for Mr. Axe. I wonder if he uses the Polish axe. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, the referee is Chuck Swenson or whoever. That's who I'm told. Bell and Mr. Rodriguez tries a side headlock but gets taken down. Roger Kent, the professional, helpfully points out that his first name is Julio. That's nice. Julio Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Okay. Side headlock by Axe. As Kent talks about how uh, Larry Hennig filled MSG four times and he beat all the biggies out on the East Coast. He's a biggie, if you ask me. <laughs> he is a biggie. Big boy. Now, I looked it up to see if this was true, right? I'm assuming that's true. It is. Sure enough, Larry was out in the WWWF. He faced Bruno, Gorilla Monsoon, Chief J. Strongbow, Tony Gurria, of course. <laughs> Tony Gurria. Yeah, I mean, this is, one, this is a guy that 
you look at him, he seems like the guy who just appears in WWF like a couple times and yeah, that's it. Especially in the early 70s when they're working with everybody. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, it's still pretty like the 70s to me is like known as like the working relationship era for yep. like every company. They just they stopped giving a shit like they did in like the 60s and yep. they were like, eh, well, fuck it. It's like we'll just <laughs> work together sometimes. It was great. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, Larry Axier did face Pedro for the world title a few times at MSG. So there you go. There you have it. Which I didn't know. Uh, so that's nice to find out. Anyway, snapmare by Hennig here and an elbow drop, followed by a headbutt. Body slam is nicely done by Hennig and another elbow. Rear chin lock now. And I got to say, Quinn, it's at this point where I realized, right? Because I've seen Roger Kent later in the 80s. I've also seen Roger Kent in WWF in the 80s, and he's very bad for, for them. But for this, in 1974, he's legitimately the perfect person for the way they're doing TV. Yeah, he just seems like a mild-mannered announcer that sometimes gets excited. Right, and that like kind of like that radio game show voice, you know, a little bit. He, he, again, I always think of it as it sounds like he works for the station. Exactly. Like, he's that kind of person. And he's got that slightly buzz, slightly inebriated cadence, you know, jovial, half-caring about what's going on. You know, it's like I, every sports announcer in the 70s. I love that, though. Like, Apparently, drinking was just allowed when you were were commentating back then yeah no you just it was part of the job i think it was like hey you want a bottle of whiskey next to you why not that's normal red barber probably all those guys drink what do you you drink right what do you drink you know it's probably the first thing the producer asks when they uh when they're sitting down at the table now these days no no you can't do that now you have to talk about stats isn't like diane sawyer the last one who got away with it for years (laughs) or something just saying as a news person that was allowed to drink at the desk allowed i don't know about allowed but yeah you know what's interesting about her what she was the white house press aide under nixon there you go well i've always thought and i think a speechwriter. you know the whole watergate scandal oh god as far as news is concerned yes. that's like when all the up-and-comer news people that we knew from the 80s and 90s that's what that was the moment that made them you mean like brokaw and jennings and all those that's guys like and the rather res- that's like the fucking wrestlemania where, like, all the stars were made in newscasting. Like, that's like... Watergate? Yeah, it's like the WrestleMania 3, where everyone on the on the Watergate... <laughs> I mean, everyone on the Watergate card, like, became stars instantly. I mean, yes, I think I have to agree with you there. Yeah, it, it really is. It's like the seminal moment for a lot of these, uh, when they were all young up-and-comers, and they all got to be stars <laughs> elsewhere on the different networks up until about, like, nine, the late 90s was, like, the last of that era yeah, of those people early making 2000s. it. Early yeah. 2000s. Yep, yeah. you're right. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this little digression here yeah. on the only podcast that will, Mike, most likely the only podcast. Well, and, you that you know, talk it's always this. been a topic of me and Joe of of pu- who got who gets pushed in the news in the anchor, news, yes. yeah, like news anchor city. It is true. Yeah. Anyway, Julio fires back with some forearm shot to the bread basket. He tries a corner whip, but Hennig puts the brakes on, lands a chop, a boot to the face, snap mare by Hennig, and back to the chin lock we go. Some kicks now by Larry Axe, Irish whip, big axe, clothesline, huh? For the win. So that's two matches, Quinn, with the same finish. Well, they both have axes. That's right. His eyes in the rope. Oh, he got him with the axe! He gave him the axe! We're going to break. We come back to Marty O'Neill introducing a special tag match with a 15-minute time limit. In the ring. Or, oh, no, wait a second. They're in the ring, but they, they're they going to get on the mic here. We're talking about Nick Bockwinkle and Ray Stevens. All oh, right. they are. Bockwinkle looking all chipper. Ray looks like a guy who ran the dorm from say by the Bell College years. You know who I'm talking about? Mike Rogers? Yeah, because he's Bob like, because somehow he like looks old even in 1974. He's probably like 
31 somehow. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, he just looks like he's like 60. I need to see how, how old Ray Stevens was yeah, now. I guarantee you he's like in his early 30s somehow. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. It's impossible based on his age in 83. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he has to be in his early 30s here. No. Don't even tell me he's like 28. That would no. be like really embarrassing. He's actually 38, almost 39. Really? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Was he like is there 49 old? and 83 or whatever? Yes. He was like almost 50. Good Lord. Yeah. Now, was folks, this man ever young? No. Um, when maybe, did he start wrestling? I think the late 50s, the early 40s? 60s. <laughs> with Patterson. Remember yeah. the Blonde Bombers? But uh, folks, for those of you that uh, haven't listened to the canon, we love Ray Stevens. Oh, yeah. And, he's, he's a hero. But we only ever really get to see his like 83 WWF run where he's on the downturn of his he's career. still kind of the same. And this. He's great. Uh, yeah. he, he's regarded. Ray Stevens regarded as a great talker, one of the all-time heels, a great bump taker. He's so good. He's kind of like pretty athletic for his day too, even as an old man. Great wrestler. Like, I don't know what it is about Ray Steven. I I just really like him. I like him too. He's an all-timer man, and so is Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, so Bockwinkle's on the mic now. He bitches about how every promoter in the country has backstabbed us and double-crossed us. Right. The phone calls, they never seem to exist. And you know what? It's this type of garbage that he and Ray are sick of. Records are lost. Yeah, records are lost. Yeah. <laughs> so they It's like Watergate. <laughs> They're all, it's all connected to Watergate. I mean... Yeah, you're right. It all goes back to Watergate yeah. and AWA. We have been backstabbed and double-crossed by every promoter in the country. We have, been ha- we have had contracts put down... And when we come back later on, they can't seem to find them. So uh, Stevens Bockwinkle have asked someone to take care of their affairs. And the surprise they have here is the greatest manager what? in the wrestling profession today. You know, they didn't need a manager before, but because of those promoters, they are introducing Quinn, Bobby Heenan. Awesome. Bobby, it's so good to have you on our team. May I explain something to the people out there? The team of Stevens and Bockwinkle were the world's tag team champions. Still are. Wow, we picked an episode, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Holy seriously. shit, I didn't expect this to happen. Me neither. Now, Bobby Heenan gets big boos as he comes out and he gets on the mic. The brain here says that Stevens and Bockwinkle were the tag champs, and in his mind, in a lot of people's minds, they still are. He says they've had to worry about previously finding the promoter, handling the commissions and the commissioners, Handling the airplanes, finding their seats, but now all they have to do is put their shoes on, get in the ring. Bobby's going to handle the rest. Hey, that's more than he did for Missing Link. That's for sure. (laughs) That's for damn sure. Now, Bobby says, you know what? We're going to take the belts back, and then we're getting out of this area. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, good. (laughs) Like, fuck this place. Uh, That's really good. These men are going to regain their title as the World Tag Team Champions again very shortly, Mr. O'Neill. They're going to gain it before the heat of summer leaves this area. And then when we take the belts back, we're leaving this area and all these busted bodies behind. And then Bobby says here, because, you know, he had been known as pretty boy Bobby Heenan, gorgeous right, Bobby Heenan. Yeah. He says everyone knows that he's good looking, but now he has a brain. Oh, shit. Is this the origins? I think so. So Bobby formally changes his name right before our very eyes to Bobby. The brilliant one, Heenan. Wait, what? Did, did he fuck up? <laughs> I don't know. What, what happened there? I don't know if he was very briefly known as that and then quickly became the brain. Well, for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, wait, the brain's better. The brain is definitely better. Yeah. Now, just so everyone knows, Bobby Heenan had been in the AWA since uh, the late 60s, mm-hmm. but he was in and out. You know how sometimes like, they would go away for this a little bit and come formal, back? This is like, I'm going to be here regular now. Right? I am the manager here. Yeah. Right. And he, you'd be interested to know this, Quinn, was only 29 years old. Whoa. 
you know, crazy. Baby Bobby. Yeah, baby Bobby Heenan. Uh, so anyway, Stevens and Bachwinkle, their opponents, Quinn, are of course the high flyers, Greg Gagne, Jim Brunzel. I know, but you know what? This is the early days of them. Like, they're a year. I think their team's like a year old at this point. So yeah. this is not like 87 high flyers. Or, you like know what I mean? where they wear their marble tights, though. The teal marble <laughs> yeah, the tights. The teal. Yep. Marble, marble, specifically. Yep. Um, now, Stevens and Gagne start immediately. Gagne gets double teamed. Bachwinkle is up front face lock back to the heel corner again. Roger says that uh, Marty O'Neill is going to do him a favor and keep time for this match. Oh, that's nice of him. <laughs> this is weird. Uh, Brunzel gets in now, and he looks young. He looks good, Quinn. He's a real house of bronze. <laughs> Just saying. House of New Brunswick. Yeah. Uh, snap mare, big hip toss on Stevens, drop kick on Bachwinkle. The ring is cleared. Roger. Holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> real it's a good roger impression yeah. holy smokes holy smoke uh bobby gathers his men he regroups bachwinkle's back in now with brunzel greco-roman back into the heel corner again steven's hordes in all shitty immediately it's very good i love yeah. all the cheating they're good at it ray steven is great <laughs> nick bachwinkle nick bachwinkle equally great yep. i think i think we got a good team here Yep, I agree. Uh, you mentioned how the high flowers are in matching teal. The heels are uh, dressed in matching purple, by the right. way. It's royal very purple. Royal purple, that's mm -hmm. right. So Roger Monsoon over here says that there should be two referees for this match. Oh boy. I love that. Did Gorilla get a, his a lot of his announcing tropes from Roger Kent? No, I think, I think it's he just, did. that's some old man shit. Like, <laughs> I'm serious. It's like old wrestler shit. It's like, this is bullshit. There should be two refs. Yada, yada, yada. They, they always say this. I don't know. I heard him say breadbasket before, too. I'm not sure. I doubt it. I'm just kidding. Uh, Bachwinkle misses and he drop Ganyu's back in. Big rights by Greg and he works the leg with a spinning toe hold. He, uh, Bachwinkle gouges out, immediately crawls over to Stevens and Stevens, Stevens backs off, circles with Greg. Lock up, side headlock by Ganyu. Stevens tries a suplex, but Greg hangs on and he gets two off of a headlock takeover. Roger Kent says that he's been doing this for 11 years. I did not know that. He's been doing a this long since 63. Jeez. Whoa. And he was there until the late 80s, I think. That's 10 years before Watergate. It's all connected. That's correct, one. That's yeah. before the Beatles came yeah. over to the U.S., you know. Oh, yeah. And they came wow. in February of 64, which is 10 years before Watergate. Yeah. Um, Specifically 10 years before Watergate. Don't <laughs> forget. 10 years. Yes. Uh, still in the headlock now. Stevens tries a hair pull, gets caught, push off Greg into the ropes with the drop kick. He tries another, but Stevens catches him in a big swing. Whoa. That was good. That was excellent. That was a great but move. It's even better the, the next part. Greg is somehow able to flip out of it, and both guys are down. I that was amazing, he, actually. Like, even the announcer's like, just, did you see that? Like, it was, yeah. like, it was like, incredible. Yeah. Like, Roger's like, did you see what Ganya did? Yeah. <laughs> he can't believe it. Did you see what Greg Ganya did? You know, this Roger Kenny does this thing constantly where it's like he'll be like muttering and drunk, and then all of a sudden he'll just be like, oh my God, that's <laughs> the greatest thing I've ever seen. He is the announcer you need for 70s AWA. Oh, I'm yeah. serious. Yeah. Like, he's not technical. He doesn't call out a hold. You don't need he, that shit. He loves it, though. He's reacting to it. I like that. This is the days before match. There's not even <laughs> Wrestling Observer or anything. They don't give a shit. No, Dave Meltzer was literally just a wrestling fan at this time. This is time, just you know? shit on TV. Yep. Like people saw and they're like, oh, that's cool. I like that yeah. guy. Don't, you don't remember it 10 years later. Yeah, you, just, you don't remember it a week later. We got to <laughs> say, we were with a relative in my family and it was surprising. You were with me and she's from Florida and she was talking about how in the 70s she used to see uh, the wrestling matches with her mm -hmm. dad mm -hmm. and how uh, she remembered Dusty Rhodes and a few others. And it's just funny because that's sometimes people just experienced wrestling that way. They would locally watch it for like a little bit of time in their life. 
Never watch it again. But they would remember. But they'd people. remember it. Remember, oh, I remember Dusty Rhodes. Right. He was like the big star. That's in, what we in were whatever, told, yeah. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. I thought that was fascinating. You yeah. know what I mean? That Because I don't have that because I've still watched. I watched wrestling for a long time, you know, but there literally are people that watched it a little bit as a kid. And that I was think, it. I think especially the 70s is more that type of fan base that saw it once or twice. Yep. Because it, it wasn't, there wasn't like stories as much. You know Sometimes, what I mean? But not, it, not, not the, not in the way where like it isn't just like a run, right? Like it's a, it's a self-contained thing. Right. By the eighties and nineties, it was like you have to be watching all the time to like really understand what's happening. Understood. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, let's get back to the match here. We get a tag to Brunzel. Stevens screwed side side headlock by Brunzel on the mat. Stevens gets the tag, but as soon as Bachwinkle gets in, Brunzel takes him down with a side headlock. Guys. Ooh, come on, pick it up. Yeah, seriously. Shove off by Nick, but Brunzel with a shoulder block. Off the ropes again. Hip tossed by Bachwinkle, but a kick off by Brunzel and a body slam. He goes back to the side headlock and Stevens t- tries to creep in, but then Craig stops him. I love that. Ray Stevens tries to like tiptoe his way into the ring to break it up and Craig's like, get the fuck out of here. There's a lot of subtle stuff in this match going on. And it's both, all, both sides are pretty good, actually. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, this is very good. So Stevens then calmly comes back in, kicks Brunzel, and Bachwinkle can take over with the headlock now. Good. Yeah, good. Uh, Stevens comes in the double team, tags back in again. Some nice choking by Ray. Tagged to Bachwinkle, who does his own choking too. They don't even care about the ref. They're just breaking after five. Like, yeah, they don't so give a they, shit. They can continue. They just do a lot of choking. Yeah. Uh, cover gets two. Slugfest now. Brunzel gets the upper hand. Gandhi tags in now. Hammers away on Bachwinkle in the corner. Huge beel toss. Nice flying head scissors. He's a house of Minnetonka. <laughs> Literally, at least at least Greg is very young here. He's like 25. He's not. Um, he doesn't look like an old man like he does later on. Right. I think Brunzel. I think they're both the same age, like yeah. mid 20s. He doesn't have Mr. Sheffield hair yet so, with the with the faint gray. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think the thing is, Quinn, you know, we make fun of the high flyers, right? Yeah. Because we make fun of a lot of things and we don't really I mean, mean anything back by it. Then they're actually high flyers. This is to, a big to, deal to people. Yeah. This is one of the early, like, young heartthrob style teams. Right. I mean, Greg Gagne, hot heartthrob. I, like, he's like I'm, Peter Brady. Like, I was just going to say he's like Greg Brady, but yeah. there you go. Yeah. Or, yeah, Greg Brady. Maybe Jim Brunzel's like David Cassidy, you know, yeah. Partridge family influence here. It, it, they're definitely a Brady Bunch style heartthrob. You know when Brady Bunch ended? 74. You know what else happened in 74? Nixon resigned. Why? Watergate. Watergate. Anyway. All connected. <laughs> All connected. Cover, but Stevens runs in, pulls Greg off. Brunzel's back in. Kneel it for two. Big uppercut gets two. Abdominal stretch, which uh, <laughs> is called an octopus by Roger Kent. That was weird. Not even an octopus hold. Just, oh, I got him in the octopus. That's what they call it. Yeah. I feel like maybe I've heard it called that, but not nearly enough. Mm-hmm. I'd be fine if that was just the name of it all the time. Right. Octopus. Stevens runs in and punches the fuck out of Brunzel to break here. Both guys back up. Leap leap whip. <laughs> Irish whip. Leapfrog by Brunzel. Double collision. Both guys are down. The crowd is woken up big time by this whole match, by the way. Yeah, this is actually very They're good, They're like, wait, folks. we can cheer? <laughs> <laughs> like, I know we're kind of digressing, but this actually is a very good match. Yeah. And especially in 1974, it's really, really fast-paced good stuff here. Mm-hmm. Oh, brother! Gagne tags back in, drop kicking another on Bachwinkle, and then of course the Gagne sleeper. What? I still don't know why it's branded with the Gagne name when they do it. Because he did it. I, <laughs> is that necessary? I don't know. It's really not. I didn't know he knew. This. He learned that in the Olympics or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a good Olympic hold. And there's the Gagne sleeper. 
Bobby immediately hops on the apron to complain that the sleeper is a choke. It's not. While he does that, Ray Stevens comes off the top with a knee. He stomps Greg with Bachwinkle while Bobby has the ref. Chuck Swedesboro, whatever his name is, the referee, punches Bobby Heenan off the apron. That was good. <laughs> well, Bobby was like, he was like being pulling dick. him and stuff. Yeah. Like, it was like the punch was warranted. He's, in like, this fuck He's off. like, get the fuck off me. Like, basically, the ref. <laughs> And then Bockwinkle tosses him out of the ring, the ref. This was all hilarious. All I loved it. Suddenly, some jerk faces come out. They try to get Bockwinkle and Stevens out of there, but they get tossed also. The crowd is pissed, by yeah. the way. No, it's a heel beatdown, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ganya continues to get beat down until Larry Hennig storms in. Wait, what? Isn't he heel? Yes. Mm-hmm. So he pulls Bockwinkle off. So Bockwinkle and Bobby then hold Larry for Stevens to attack. What? Hennig throws all of them out of the way and into each other. Hennig tosses Bachwinkle out of the wing, elbow drops Ray, nails Bobby. Axe turns face here, man, and this is actual progress on an episode of AWA. Holy shit. It's, Things happened on this show? It's taken us until like 1983 to get WWF progress. Yeah. AWA is doing it in the 70s, they're man. They're just doing it in 74. Well ahead of the curve here. Mm-hmm. Big body slam on Stevens. Bobby bails out. Bachwinkle gets sent into the turnbuckle. Clothesline on Stevens. Roger Kent out of nowhere. Woo! <laughs> anyway, Stevens gets tossed out. Now, finally, Larry is alone with Bobby in the ring. Henning with a cross-corner whip. Bobby tumbles to the outside right onto his manager chair. Big, goofy cell. Holy shit, this was good, Quinn. It was great. So, Henning hops out. Checks on Greg, brings him back into the ring. The ref is still out, which Roger is very concerned about. Oh, the referee still not moving or whatever he's saying, right? Mm-hmm. Henning then scoops up Greg Ganya and just carries him away like yep. a baby. Back to his crib. Goo goo gaga Ganya. Goo goo gaga Ganya. That's what they called him <laughs> after this moment. <laughs> a nice shot of the empty ring as we fade away. And now we go over to the Marty O'Neill, who is with Nick Bockwinkle, Ray Stevens, and Bobby Heenan. And they're fucking pissed off at Larry Hennig, but they're happy they at least beat the shit out of Greg Ganyu. That's not, that, that, that's an accomplishment. It, it's a nice trade, right? Yeah. Uh, Bobby says that Larry, Larry Hennig sucks now and they're going to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and then a very Bobby line, he yells, I don't like loudmouths. It's real. It's very- he doesn't he, like he, them. He doesn't like them. They storm away and then suddenly Larry Hennig charges in from the other side. He's like, I couldn't take it anymore. What they were doing to Greg Ganya. I've got two sons that wrestle, you know, and uh, he couldn't deal with that. That could have been his own son. Mr. Perfect reference. His own son. Yeah. His own son. He has two sons that wrestle, by the way. I don't know. There's another Hennig. I'm not being funny. Is Dink there? Dink Hennig. <laughs> What's his name? Dink? Yeah, Dink. <laughs> Let me... he, he's related to Dink from Dink and Doink. It's the same person, actually. Yeah. Let me find out. I need to know this now because I actually did not. Um... What if it is Dink? <laughs> what if I'm right? That was just like a guess. Well, he had five children, but the only one, I'm only looking on Wiki, so people can tell me, but it says Kurt Hennig is the only one mentioned. Did I he, bet you his other son had just, like, kind of started. He was, like, dabbling in the wrestling dabbling? at this point in, in Dab- 1974. Dabbling. But then he, you know, he started doing the news or something because he had to cover Watergate. Will you stop it with the Watergate? <laughs> now, people are going to jump on top of this, you know, right? It's funny. I do not see, uh, I don't know who his other son is. I'd be a wrestler. Someone let us know. But anyway. Hank Hennig. <laughs> Stop. Anyway, Larry leaves, right? And Marty O'Neill says, uh, Larry Hennig is a one-man gang. Ooh, as we go to break. Okay, we're back. Ringside. Next match. Random air horn for no reason. And first we get 
Pancho Valdez, who I know we've seen him before on he something. Seems I familiar. swear, yes. A lot of these look like Victor. A lot of these guys look like Victor Mercado. They do though. That's not like physique wise and yeah, beard wise. They, like, they were like all like yeah, they were like lanky and stuff. Dumpy. Yeah. Um. So anyway, the air horn was actually on purpose. It was done by Pancho's opponent, Bull Bolinsky, who apparently used to be a truck driver. What a name, Bull Bolinsky. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so Is the he bell- Bull Buchanan's dad. Bull Buchanan's very good. Uh, the bell rings and it sounds like someone clanging on a pot. So much so that Roger Kent here, the bell rings. Not too well, but it's ringing anyhow. And the bell she rings. Not too well, but it's uh, it's ringing anyhow. Anyway, Bull is dressed like a moondog, built like Bulldog Bob Brown. It's very bad. Lockups go nowhere. Both these guys look dirty. They like do. Like, in general. In ge- <laughs> they do. You're right. Uh, Looks like Pigpen from, from <laughs> Peanuts over there. Really? With that? Yeah. Okay. The ref here, whatever his name is, he has maroon pants and 70s hair. Although, mm-hmm. see, back then it was just called hair. Thank you. Wally Carbo, now the promoter, wanders over to mention that the... Uh, uh, the official decision was a DQ on Bachwinkle and Stevens. Yeah, no shit. They cheated. <laughs> what do you that implied? Yeah, I don't know. Why did they always have to explain this stuff back then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, very obvious who won. <laughs> but really, Quinn, he's mainly concerned about Greg Gagne. His mic sounds like shit, and he's all mumbly, by the way. They try to, like, pass this off later. He's, like, a very distraught Wally. Like, that's, like, why he sounded bad. The thing is, I'm just very, very concerned. I just think Greg he had Gagne. a crappy mic, or he was, like, talking in... To Roger Kent's mic from far away. Like <laughs> yeah, it's, maybe. It's one or the other. Like leaning over the table. Yeah. Anyway, a head is by Poncho on the mat here. Roll over by Bull into a cover. Both guys are up. Single leg by Poncho into a toehold. Hot toehold action. That's right, Quinn. Uh, he bends the knee back, but Bolinsky takes him down, and both guys are on the mat. Now, apparently, Quinn, Bolinsky used to unload trucks without a forklift. Wow. Oh. He allegedly works the leg, but Poncho makes the ropes. Both guys up. Side headlock by Poncho. Can we wrestle here? Yeah, this like, is a little boring. Yeah. This is where this show kind of like fell off for me. Got to cool it down, though, after this angle yeah. we saw, to be fair. It was pretty hot. It was hot. Bolinski tries to escape, so Poncho with an eye gouge. More gouges by Poncho. Corner whip. Both feet up by Bolinski and a butt down out of the corner for the first fall. So the pots and pans clang, and Roger declares him the winner. And we come back for the second fall, Quinn. Yes, what? that's right. Why? I totally missed that there, this was two falls. But I, when they came back and they were still wrestling, I was like, no way. Yes, that's I was right. Like, what the fuck? Yes, yeah, so a two out of three falls match. Isn't that nice? There was like eight minutes left on the whole show, <laughs> and there was still a match to go. Yes, and they there was like, another one. We got one more fall for you. And this, I was like, well, how? His show has taken a fall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, lock up now. Front face lock by Bolinski. But Poncho with an eye gouge. Snap suplex by Bolinski. Roger Kent, by the way, is still like all nervous about the way the bell sounds. He's I like, don't blame him. It sounds rickety. He's so apologetic. He's like, so, we're sorry. It sounds like that. It got broken. You know? Yeah. All that chaos during the other thing. We really do have money here. This is not a mom and pop slipshod operation. I promise you that. Even though it is. It is, though. That's yeah. the best part of it. Uh, Stump by Bull. He lets Poncho get up. Single leg by Poncho, and he works the knee. Roger Kent, who, by the way, keeps the whole match saying Poncho Vasquez, which is not his Whoops. name. Says that a poncho should be an advertisement for shaving cream because of his mustache. Okay. <laughs> like, what? I didn't even get that. I love him. This is what I mean. This is the kind of yeah. asides and bullshit we need when the yeah. AWA is in the 70s. Right. You need it's that. True. You you do need it. You need it. They uh, should have had Roger Kent forever. He just makes it tolerable. He's good. Yeah. Uh, body slam by Bolinski and then another one. Another one. He goes to the second rope, lands a butt drop, and it's all over. Okay, moving on now. Yes, very yeah. nice. Two falls for Bolinski. Back to the ring for one more match. There's like six minutes left, just saying. 
I always have to point this out. And, and this was one fall. One thankfully. fall, thankfully, yes. Thankfully. First, from Chicago, the very capable and popular Angel Rivera. Who? No one cheers him, yeah, by the way. I was like, what, capable? I've never heard of this man. His opponent, <laughs> everybody likes Kenny J. Again, who? He looks like Rene Goulet, but with worse hair. Uh, so Kenny J. It's like, what is he, like Mickey J's brother? Like, it's so weird. <laughs> anyway, Rivera looks like Mole from 83, but with a beard and fuzzier hair. Mm-hmm. Thumb to the eye by Rivera side headlock and a noogie, which Roger thinks is a choke. It isn't. It's not. Front face lock again by Rivera. Break on the rope, so Jay punches him. Lock up Rivera with a punch. Another lock up. Single leg by Rivera. Knee bar now as Jay tries to wiggle out. He makes the rope so Rivera just gets up and stomps right on his leg. I like this Rivera. He doesn't give a fuck, no, by the way. Gritty. He's just like, he's like, I don't give a shit about this ref. <laughs> fuck him. Like, he's so bold. Yeah, he is, and he's, oh, you want to punch me? I'm going to punch you right back, motherfucker. Yeah. He's he's good, actually. He's gritty. Yeah. He would fit right into the 83 cannon, oh, honestly. Oh, I could see him. We yeah. like him. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because of the way he wrestles. He wrestles kind of like Nick DiCarlo. Just yeah. like, you want to fucking fight? You want to fucking fight me? I Let's go. Him. I love that style of mm-hmm. jobber. Huge knee lift by Jay, but Rivera scoops the leg again, puts on a toe hold. He then bites the leg for fun. <laughs> Roger, did he draw blood? I don't know. <laughs> Not in this match. <laughs> I like that. I love Roger. Yeah, I he's know, good. I don't know what he does, but he's great. Another single leg is Roger talks about how, uh, you know, we got a lot of mail this week. Someone from North Dakota, by the way, sent him a very nice card, he mentions. And like first, like he hurt his leg yeah. or something about his leg. Help me to get well or something. Uh, more leg. But Jay monkey flips out, lands some punches while limping around. Body slam by Jay only gets two because it's not 1954. Right. Uh, it's the 70s, man. Get with it. Very Body modern slam. era. That's right. Yeah. Back to the single leg by Rivera as Wally Carbo again comes over to give an update on Greg Gagne. The update is he's pretty badly injured. <laughs> it's a weird, like, <laughs> he's really fucking hurt. Uh, yeah. Bye. He's still like, really hurt, by yeah. the way. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Jay wins while literally no one, including me, including Roger Ken, is paying attention. Yeah, literally nobody cares. And even Kent is like, oh shit, a win happened? And then he starts yelling. He's like, oh, he won! Oh, oh there it, it happened! Because he was like talking to Wally while it was going on. I think I was looking down at something, like typing. I don't know what I was doing, but I looked up and it's like, oh, you won! Okay. So I don't know how he won. It doesn't matter. Uh, we just hope that he's going to be all right, but it looks very, very bad right now, Roger. Al Garosha, the TV matchmaker. And hey, there's your winner. It all happened while Kenny Jay was doing and. Angel Rivera. By the way, if you want to watch this, it is on YouTube. Yeah. Just putting it out a there. A very loud watermark on the top of the corner. Is it so Wrestle all, Reels? I can't remember. Any AWA footage has this really gigantic badge on the top right corner, and I don't understand why anybody thought that was acceptable. They're proud that they have it, and they don't want it stolen, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we roll credits, which is basically the same as the opening, except uh, we get a voiceover. We're told, this is Rock'em Sock'em Wrestling here at the AWA, and it like, lists the credits and producers and stuff. Okay. Quinn, this was legitimately... The best AWA thing we've ever reviewed. Seriously, was, without question, I liked it. I, mean, I was, I had no problem with this episode. The last, Other than the last two matches, they were, were crappy. Just, they were, they were shit. But they're supposed to be like quick, dumpy. But most of the show was great, especially the whole Bachwinkle Stevens Heenan angle with the Greg yep. Nanya, Larry Hennig. We saw Ivan Putski. Again, best ep- a- AWA episode ever we ever saw. Um, beginning was good, but honestly, tapered off about at the end. But you know, it's the seventies. Whatever. Seventies, it's yeah. fine. 
And a good slice, Quinn, because we haven't done a lot of AWA from the 70s. A good slice of what they did right, you know. Why short, they were a big deal. Yeah, short matches. A good angle happened. Roger Kent is unbelievable. I love him so much. Yeah. It's just fun to hear, like, your drunken uncle announcer style. I like it. Plus, no Brad Reingen, so that's a plus yeah. immediately. He's probably still in high school or no something like that. No talk about the Olympics or nope. anything. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. See, as soon as the Olympics got involved, they, they had problems. The irony being when they stuck to professional wrestling, that's a style they did well. And again, we did this one for our uh, our longtime friend and fan, Ruby. We're very happy we got a good one, and we're really yeah. going to miss Ruben. You know, our dearly beloved Ruben. He will definitely be missed. This one was for you. So, uh, mm-hmm. folks, maybe check it out in honor of Ruben. You yeah, know? give it a shot. It's actually a very good episode, and I'm not kidding about Roger Ken. He's a joy to listen to. Very I nice love, man. I love it so much. And uh, that's what we got on there. Again, a couple of reminders before we get out of here. If you want us to review something specific, there's a specific episode review request announcement on our Facebook group, which you can join. Just don't be a dunderhead. Put that there. Vote, please, in next season's Royal Rankings. It is Celebrities in Wrestling. And obviously follow us on Twitter at OVP Podcast. And be sure, if you want the extra stuff, to consider our Patreon. Give it a shot. Visit the website, at least. Yeah. Then make a decision. It's patreon.com slash OVP Podcast. But thank you guys so much for being with us here. Of course, we will be back next week for episode 229. Until then, I am Joe Murata. That is Michael Quinn, and we are out of here. See ya. Hi, everyone. This is Ruben Vasquez Jr., fan of the AWA and probably Mac Rivera's biggest fan. I wanted to wish OVP a happy 100 episodes, and I hope you have many, many more. Quick story, I guess. I fell into the OVP family by receiving a notification on Twitter saying that OVP wanted to follow me, which I thought that was cool. You know, a podcast wanted to follow me. And I didn't hear of you guys. And I think by that time, you guys had just started your podcast. And I checked you out. I wasn't crazy about it at first, and I'll admit that. But I didn't give up on on you guys. I wanted to continue listening. And I think, I don't know if I started at the very beginning, but I think you guys were already a few episodes in. So I kind of started listening and, you know, you guys got way better. And look at you now, 100 episodes, and I think you guys are the best wrestling podcast ever. I wish you the very best of luck. And I can't wait to see what you guys have coming up next so take care guys and catch you on the flip side